Hey there, and welcome to another episode of The Bible. Wait, what? Yes, this is the podcast that unravels the mysteries of the Bible's most perplexing, puzzling, and thought-provoking passages. My name is Rowan, and each session I'm joined by a member of our team at C3 Church, Camden, Picton, and Thoreau, as they quiz me on some of the more complicated, confusing, challenging, and even confronting passages that we read in our weekly Bible reading plan. understand that reading the Bible can be a challenging and perplexing experience. Many people just don't know where to start, they get confused, and so they give up. Well, that's why this podcast exists, to equip you with the tools and the knowledge to explore the richness and depth of the Bible for yourself. So grab your Bible, take a deep breath, and join us as we explore this week's passages. To learn more about us or to get in touch with us at C3 Church Camden, Picton and Thoreau, visit any of our three locations' websites. That's c3camden.church, c3picton.church and c3thoreau.church. Or you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube just by searching for any of our locations' names. So without any further delay, let's dive into today's conversation. everyone. It's Rowan and Amanda here. We've actually finished recording, but at the end of our recording, we wanted to come back and insert this little notification at the beginning. Uh, We got into some pretty challenging stuff today. We were talking, especially in Genesis chapter 6 and Genesis chapter 9, about matters of sexual violence. And some of you may find that disturbing, which would be totally understandable. So if that's you, uh, you feel free to skip through those two chapters. We put them in there because we uh, think that the Bible does have something to say to these issues and it does depict the human condition, but we also realize that it could be challenging. So we thought, didn't we, Amanda, it would be good to record something. However, if you do uh, continue to listen, please, uh, and you do would you would like some prayer or uh, some uh, pastoral conversations and pastoral care around these issues, please jump onto your church's website, your location's website, yep, or ours, um, or your your own local church as well, and reach out for pastoral care. Absolutely. Hit that prayer request button. Yep, I'm sure that we'd be able to support you however we can. Thanks. Here we go. Thank you. Hello and welcome back uh, for another week. And welcome back to me. It's been a while since I've it done It has been a while since you've been here, Amanda. Uh, but I, I have to say that I've actually been loving listening to the variety of I have, voices. I love that too. Um, it's really exciting. So um, I'm sorry that you get boring old me again. No, I'm kidding. Uh, you're not boring. <laughs> no, not good, at all. Not at all. This story isn't boring. It's really fun, actually, this week. We've got... What, seeing a world flooded... No, but it's Noah. Don't <laughs> it's you don't, Noah. I mean, for me, it's, you know, it's an exciting story. Gotcha. Yeah. Yes, it's scary and it is a bit full on, uh, especially when you really take the time to take it 
piece by piece and read it yeah. and not just listen to the, you know, not just the, the Sunday the school Sunday story. School <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, however, I, I still, yeah, I'm excited about this particular yeah, story. It's, it's great. Good, especially with the topic of got the, the father being just and we're going to deal with that issue, aren't we? Yeah, well, I do have a question and I think maybe I'll say it without an answer to begin with. Sure. I wasn't sure whether to put this question at the start or at the end. Okay. But I'll say it without an answer before we launch in as right. by way of introduction. Okay. And maybe then we maybe can address it re- at the end. Yeah, okay. yeah. Cool. So in Genesis, we've got Genesis and Luke, Genesis yeah. 6, 7, 8, 9, 11. And, yep. um, I left 10 out because it's just a whole bunch of names. Yeah, yeah. I noticed <laughs> that. I still read it and yeah. I was like, yeah, okay. Um, however, uh, these are two very different pictures, two yes. very different stories how can we learn about God who is just uh, from these passages? I, I was looking over these passages and I, I was quite proud of myself actually with picking these chapters because both of these, the, both the Genesis and the John, uh, sorry, Luke. the Luke passages, not John, that was last week, the Luke passages definitely do um, show us about the justice of God. Mm. And so how can we do it? Well, we're going to see some attributes of what, it does mean that God is just, yeah. that God is a just God. We're going to actually see that play out, I think, as we talk yeah, through these chapters I think so. in a very clear way. It, different aspects of it. Obviously, there's a judgment aspect in the, mm. the story of the flood and all that, and there'll be questions for our listeners we'll have about that as well as you. And then in the Luke accounts, there's a lot of stuff about uh, Jesus rebuking the, um, the, the Pharisees for mm. their poor treatment, their, their poor treatment of the poor, yeah. their, their misuse of money, their love of power and all that sort of stuff, which is all, once again, an issue of God, him showing the father's justice, that mm. he, his justice demands that we look out for the vulnerable. So we're going to see kind of two different aspects, I think, of the justice yeah. of God. Yeah. Uh, what I noticed as well is that it's, um, the first is very like beginning of time mm-hmm. type thing. Yep. And the Luke chapters are... Jesus and grace and, you know, the, the, uh, what do you call it in a movie? Um, the, the pinnacle of the story, you know, like, it's like, wow, here we go. This is where it really ramps up. Um, so do you find, because this is a common thing that often people read, they'll go, oh, I can't reconcile the God of the Old Testament with the Jesus of the New Testament because Jesus in the New Testament wouldn't, you know, flood the earth that, like we're about to see. Um, I didn't actually think that at all when Good. I was okay. doing this reading. Well, that's reading. a sign that you, you're growing in your faith. <laughs> well, I think some people might though. Yeah, oh, it's a valid But it's not question. something that came up in my thoughts yeah. as I was okay. reading, but well, a, lot may, of, we, a lot of questions We, we may came address up. it as we go through the, yeah. the, the episode actually because there will be other, that question will come up. So let's just see how we go. I mean, you've yeah. put some time into prepping some questions. Well, I think so. And I think that my biggest thing as I was, as I was going through all of these was I just kept thinking – don't just skim over these, even though you think you know the, yeah, the, the story. Noah story yep. and you'll read some of the, the Luke um, passages and think, oh, yeah, I know this. We've got the prodigal re- son yeah, in there yeah, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yep. Don't just skim over it. Really take the time like we do here um, to pick it apart Good. and discuss it and ask questions um, because I think it's, well, yeah. I think I think we're going to see There's some a lot to interesting. Learn. We're going to learn a bit about God's the Father's justice and what mm. that means and how that plays out. I'm sure we will as we yeah. talk about these chapters. So let's, let's get head started. Up to Genesis, Genesis chapter six. six. So 
I thought I w- uh, thought we should just read the first few verses to start. Yep. Because um, my first question, if you haven't read it yet, you might be like, hold on, what what, what are you talking about? So, um, okay, so it's start my NLT version. Um, the title is A World Gone Wrong. So you can pretty much like you know what's going to happen, coming. <laughs> what's coming. Um, but, yeah, I'll just launch in. Uh, then the people began to multiply on the earth and daughters were born to them. The sons of God saw the beautiful women and took any they wanted as their wives. Then the Lord said, my spirit will not put up with humans for such a long time, for they are only mortal flesh. In the future, their normal lifespan will be no more than 120 years. In those days and for some time after, giant Nephilites lived on the earth for whenever the sons of God had intercourse with women, they gave birth to children who became the heroes and famous warriors of ancient times. Um, so I'll pause there because my first question is what are Nephilites? <laughs> and that whole first part sounds like something out of Avengers. <laughs> Avengers. Like, or, or one of those types some of kind, movies. Some kind you know? of apocalyptic end time Enemy movies, you know, like something. Sure. Yeah. Um, what are Nephilites? You want to go there, do yeah, you? Yeah, well, definitely. <laughs> okay. Go for it. <laughs> okay, other versions call them Surely Nef- other Nephilim. people are asking oh, People that. will be asking yeah. this question. <laughs> yeah. And there are, there are different, there are two main different schools of thought on this. They're angels, right? Yeah. Uh, no, no, they're no. So the two main schools of thought: one is that they're purely humans. Mm-hmm. It's called the lines of Seth view, I think, which is to do with they were from a different, they were out of this the different channel of Adam and Eve's children. Mm-hmm. That's the not the prevailing view. The prevailing view is far more weird than that. Mm. Um, the prevailing view at the time of Jesus was unquestionably that these, and it comes from a lot of the Book of Enoch, which is a, a, a an apocryphal book that is referenced a couple of times in the New Testament. I remember, I, was it you I talked about the Book of Enoch in a different context? No. Okay, no. one of the other guests we talked about the Book oh, of Enoch. Oh, actually, a long time ago. A while back, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah I well, do remember that. It was a that. prevailing book that a lot of uh, – New Te- it shapes the New Testament actually in, in many ways, even though it's not actually specifically part of our New Testament. Mm-hmm. It was already a, a written at the time um, of – of Jesus, and it's included in the Catholic Bible, I think. It's included in the, the Old Testament Apocrypha. But it really had a, a number of beliefs. One of those was that these Nephilim were the offspring of um, evil angels, fallen angels, wow. who, and human women. We should really give a trauma alert when we say that because this is pretty, yeah. queer, pretty queer. Wow. Um, so the argument is that um, somehow in some way these these evil spirits found a way to procreate with human women and produce these Nephilim, which uh, the NIV says giants, like, but the word, they, ha- they happen to be giants, wow. but, um, but that's not what the word means. The word means Nephilim, which means fallen ones. So these, mm-hmm. some way or other, these beings were, the closest thing we would put is they were demigods. Now, this is not unique. This seems weird to us at first glance, but if you stop and think about it, it's not unique to world, to Christian religion or Jewish religion. This concept of demigods is is mm. fluent throughout all ancient cultures. They yeah. all believed that the gods mated with humans and created these demigods. Achilles was one of those in Greek mythology, yeah. so it's a very common belief. 
um, it's pretty not much just every, something they made up. It's, it's not just something actually, they made up. It was actually something that was prevailing the, the religious view yeah. of, of all re- religions at the time. Mm. But I'm fully aware that it can seem very confronting and very confusing to people. Um, but the prevailing belief from the book of Enoch at the time of Jesus, and therefore I think probably the, the view that Jesus and the disciples would have held, and it would appear the apostles like Peter held when he quotes from the book of Enoch, was that these spirits somehow had children mm-hmm. with uh, these women. And it says... Uh, that the Nephilim were on the earth in that time before the flood and after it says, and after the flood. Mm. So the prevailing view is that Goliath and these beings were also Nephilim. Wow, so th- yeah. this this mating continued yeah. pri- post the flood. Yep. Um, now what you make of that with our analytical scientific mind is is up to us to make, but that's all I'm saying is that's what the belief was at the time yeah, of Christ, that right. these, these Nephilim were somehow um, – were supernatural beings or semi-supernatural beings that had mm-hmm. power and strength and um, went and built cities and conquered and all that kind of stuff, were warriors, were powerful, but uh, were also only really half human, if you like. Mm, okay. So that's what the Nephilim were. I feel like I've maybe asked you that question before outside you, of this podcast. You may have, yeah. However, I, I mean, I thought I could Google it. However, we wouldn't have a podcast if I didn't No, it. that's right. right? So. <laughs> I mean, that one was going to take some time. I thought if she asked me about the Nephilim, we'll be here all day. Uh, yeah, Look, but, yeah. you know, that's that's a pretty it has, short. It has ongoing implications. I mean, there are schools mm. of pseudo-Christian thought now that go, oh, maybe, maybe that's what aliens are doing when they're abducting. Yeah, yeah. You know, women and all this sort of stuff. It's, oh, goodness. It, there's all kinds of speculatory things out there, but I don't want to go beyond what the scriptures say and what those first century interpreters would have th- thought and that's what they would have thought. Yeah. Um, however, you know, we could be really wrong and <laughs> it could be something completely different, right? Yeah, well, it, well, that's the other school of thought, This, this that they were just a different branch of Adam's family. Yeah, I, okay. I can't. That's clearly not what the New Testament writers thought. Mm, so okay. I think that is a view that's come about. It doesn't fit the scriptures because it says the sons of God. The term yeah. it uses is the sons of God there. That term is only used one other time in the yeah, whole of the Bible. Right. And that's in the book of Job when the sons of God came to present themselves. Okay. The sons of Elohim came to present themselves. And it was talking about angels. Yeah, the right. The only other reference to that term in verse 4, in those days uh, the sons of God had intercourse with women is only in Job one, Job chapter 1. Yeah, so wow. So the prevailing so view is, is that this, yeah. these are spiritual beings that somehow are procreating with humans. Wow. Oh, see, that's important to note then, isn't it? That yes. sons of God part. All right. Okay. Yep. Okay. Well, I guess that's really all we need to know when we're reading this when passage. Reading this. Yes. Well, look, that it, it they has implications. Are some sort of, yeah. It has implications. Some of the reasons why scholars think this might have been the case is that if you track it back to Genesis chapter 3, three chapters before, the Lord has pronounced a curse upon uh, the serpent and mm-hmm. has pronounced that a seed from the woman would defeat the serpent, crush his head, mm. you know. And so the, the serpent knows that there is a messianic prophecy through the seed of the woman, through the descendants of the woman. So it would mm. make sense yeah. that the, the the serpent would want to corrupt yeah. the seed of the woman. That's what scholars think is happening here. Yeah, right. Okay. That it's, makes sense too. Okay. All right. All right, let's we haven't keep even hit going. The flood yet and we've got, <clears throat> no, we we've already haven't. hit the curly stuff, haven't we? But verses five to six, I don't think I'll I'll read it. How oh no, I will read this part. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on earth. It broke his heart. 
And the Lord said, I will wipe this human race as I have created from the face of the earth. Yes, and I will destroy every living thing, all the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground, and even the birds of the sky. I am sorry I ever made them. But Noah found favour with the Lord. Okay, so... What I noticed with that was that it was the same language as the creation story. Uh, what stood out to me was the creatures that scurry along the ground. That like that part just I remember reading that thinking, you know, earlier on in Genesis, thinking that, you know, why why is it important to say that scurry along the ground? Like what are the other interpretations? And then you see this again and then later we'll talk about it again later, but it says it again. It does. Multiple times yep. throughout this story, yep. um, and I, I also thought that it's very descriptive language. Mm-hmm. Is it a way of explaining that it truly is everything, and that God really did create everything, or is there more to it? What, what do you what do you think about that? Is it a way of describing that God? That God created, truly created everything. So rather than saying that God just created this and that, it's no, God created Uh, everything. Yes. Is it just a descriptive way of explaining to the reader that God created everything? Yeah, well, if you go back to the Genesis creation account, Mm -hmm. it is clearly, uh, you know, he's making birds, land, animals of the land, fish in the sea. Yeah. You know, and there's the whole separation of night and day and land and earth and land and heaven and earth and water and all that kind of separation mm-hmm. stuff. And, yes, then he goes and fills the earth yes. with all these different animals. That is definitely supposed to be all-encompassing. Mm-hmm. The ancient Hebrews believed without a doubt that he was the father creator of all things. All things, yeah. All things. And what you've picked up on here is is very good, that that is the same language that's being used in this story. Mm-hmm. So for you guys that are listening to this, you're, when you're reading the Bible, especially the Old Testament, you're deliberately looking for – uh, repeated language because mm. what you need to realise is when you see repeated language like Amanda's picked up on here with scurry on the ground and birds of the sky is even mentioned mm. there, right? Yeah, yeah. I so, mean, the whole I mean, sentence that's the whole, really. the whole thing should make you think, oh, that's Genesis 1 creation. Yes. Yeah. Okay? That's the intention. That's the way it's written. So when you read something that's repeated, you think, where have I heard that before? Then you go back and find out and there is what they call a remez there. Oftentimes it refers back to the previous me, uh, previous chapter and then in the in the previous chapter you'll fill out more of the story of what the, the writer's. Yeah. It's like the light, writer's lay, laying a bit of bait and then saying go back and look at the previous story to fill out what I'm trying to say here. Yeah. And so this is clearly um, supposed to be linked to creation. Now what's happening in creation is God, what, what, did, it, what did creation originally look like? It was good. Yeah, but let's go back to before that. Before oh, it was, it was before he created, it was formless and void, and what the spirit of the God was over, hovering over, over what, over the deep oh, waters. Oh, over the deep water. Oh, oh the wow. light's just gone. Hasn't it? Oh, oh, that's actually really cool. Okay, so what's oh, t- right. tell me what you, you what's your ah oh moment there? So, well, so. He's hovering over the deep waters, and now he's flooding the earth he's with about deep to, waters. About to turn and later it back on, we'll, into deep yeah, waters. Yeah, and later on, we find out that it's um, really, really deep. It's actually yes. quite yep. detailed about how deep. Yep. So, yeah, wow. So this account is a decreation story. Yeah. He's supposed to link it to basically what what is happening in uh-huh. the flood narrative. The way that the Bible has set this up is. It starts with explaining that the morality of humans had become so wicked yeah. that they were going to destroy themselves. 
if God left them, they were not only going to destroy themselves, they're going to destroy everything on the earth mm -hmm. because their morality was so self-focused. Yeah, so we just so, did it for them. So God actually accelerated that process but yeah. brought a promise out of that to yeah. restart the human project. So God created, humans decreated, mm -hmm. and God accelerated the decreation. Yeah, wow. But then God recreates again. Yeah. So it's creation, decreation. Yeah. Instead of bringing order out of chaos now – the natural byproduct of God's of our sin is that we bring decreation. Yeah. We actually reverse that pattern all yeah, over again. Yeah, wow. That this pattern is picked up time and time again in the Bible. Order, yeah. God brings order. Humans bring disorder. Yeah. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. We, we do because yeah, because whatever we choose for ourselves, at mm -hmm. the expense of others, we bring disorder and chaos into the world. And this is God recreating, mm -hmm. sorry, decreating, saying, "Well, that's the way you're going to go. This yeah. is what's going to happen." Yeah. Okay, so you've kind of answered this question, but I'll say it anyway. The world's pretty bad, right? Mm -hmm. Right now, humans, we all have heard stories of pretty evil human beings, lots of awful things happening worldwide. We're all sinners, you know, there's yep. lots of bad things. But what is the difference between how bad it was then and how bad is it now? I mean... I thought it must have been pretty bad if God knew it would get bad yes, again. Yes, yes. So why would he bother? <laughs> yeah. I was trying to word that really carefully, but, I mean, <laughs> let's just be real and honest here and just say, like, if, we, if he knew that it was going to get bad again, why did he bother? Why didn't he just... Is there any indication as... Yeah, exactly. Like, if he was going to wipe it all clean, knowing that it was going to go yep. down the drain again anyway. <laughs> yeah, and continually yeah. through human sin go down the drain. Um, so you're getting into that, the realm of – no, that it's make a great sense, what I'm I saying? I think it does. And you're getting into the realm of philosophy yeah. as opposed to theology, and that's fine. I think uh, some of the great early theologians were philosophers. Some of the more recent Enlightenment theologians tend to be scientists. But, no, I think it's totally fine to get into that realm. Why would God not just – act on his justice and wipe us out and go, well, that, that failed. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, let's start with a whole new bunch of Adam and Eve. He, he didn't do that because of his love. And I was about to say, I know the answer to my own question, yeah. however. Yeah, but you're absolutely right. I was wondering right. what you thought. Yeah. The whole concept of, of creation and decreation and judgment and justice, what we're talking about today, mm. the reason is God is slow to anger, abounding in love. He... he continues his project because of his love for us. And even though we mess it up, and this flood account is one account of that, like you said, the world is still messed up today. Mm. I would argue maybe it's not generally speaking, especially in the West, as messed up as perhaps it has been throughout other times in history. Mm. Um, but that's largely due to the positive influence of uh, Christianity and Judeo-Christian morals upon the, upon the Western world. But the world is still messed up because we humans are messed up, but God is patient with us. He's, mm. He loves us and he is wanting to rescue us. And has grace. And he has right? and He has grace for us, exactly. Well, like, you know, as we listened to this the week before, we've just talked about God's graciousness with Simon. So, mm. um, so you know, we're talking about here a, a gracious God who, who does bring about justice mm. and has to, otherwise he would not be a loving God because a loving God demands that he's a just God. Otherwise, if he doesn't, if he doesn't correct and put right the wrongdoing that one human does to another, then he's not just. Mm. So he will have to bring about justice on the earth. 
but it so love demands his justice and vice versa. Mm. But this is a good example of what we often see, which is this story is at one hand it could seem cruel, mm. but on another hand you realize that this justice has got more to do with what Romans 1 says is God handing humans over to their own sinful desires rather than somehow God inflicting it. It's basically mm-hmm. saying if this is the way you want to behave, this is the result that's going to come. Yeah. I'll take my hands off the situation and that's God's justice. Mm. God's justice is that he doesn't intervene any longer mm. and the world collapses in on itself because of human sin. Mm. Well, that's good. Yeah. Okay. We're getting into some pretty um, – and, and, you know, into, into the next couple of weeks, next month's podcast, we're going to be dealing with this stuff in Well, I depth. think it's also really important that we talk about this this particular question or topic because you could just read – this Genesis 6, 7, 8, 9 and 11 and just go, where's the love in that? Yes. Without yeah. without these questions and without pulling, pulling it apart and without backing it up with the stories in Luke but yeah, also just, you know, the story of Jesus. Yeah, the way the Lord has revealed where, himself in Jesus. Yeah, yeah. It's really important not to just read one chapter yep. and go, oh, yeah, I know everything now. You got it. You got it. <laughs> no, that's right. right. Okay. So verse 9 to 22 is the basic story of Noah. Mm-hmm. It reads pretty much like the children's stories. God built a boat. Yeah. No, God told God Noah built to build a boat. boat. Yeah. Noah built a boat with his sons. and they, Yep. And yep. all the measurements are in there, yep. um, which I'll ask a question about that in a second. But I, I wanted to note that it said Noah was blameless. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I thought that was interesting in a world that was so corrupt, there was mm-hmm. this one guy mm. that was blameless. Um, it seems kind of almost impossible mm-hmm. that this is one and blameless. It doesn't say sinless, does it? Uh, I don't know actually what the word is. I'd have to look it up. Yeah, I, um, I would like to know. I should probably are, should have warned you about that No, question. there are a couple of schools of thought that I can address first of all, straight off the, straight off the bat. One of the schools of thought is actually linked to the Nephilim. Ah. Okay, so if we've dis- discussed as we previously had, and I'm not saying this is this is right, I'm just saying this is one of the schools of thought. Mm-hmm. If the devil was trying to corrupt the line of Eve, the human line, mm-hmm. so that the Redeemer could not come, that the Saviour could not come yeah, through that line. Yeah, right, of course, yep. Could it be, this is the school of thought, what could blameless or perfect, because a blameless a lamb is a spotless lamb, mm-hmm. one that is without sin or defect. Yeah. What could this language be referring to about Noah and his line as oh. opposed to all the others if you think of that Nephilim concept? What do you think it might be thinking? So Same. his line would be one that the Nephilim haven't, you, got it. you know, got to him. Uncorrupted. That seed Uncorrupt, was uncorrupted. Yeah, yep. and probably a bit of a prophecy as well saying that Jesus will come it's, from... You got it. Yep. The, the, so basically, it's not despite actually the saying he's perfect, and he is actually this great guy. Because I mean, later on, if you know the story, I might be. We'll get to it. Yeah, we'll get to it. Yeah. That he, you know, he gets yeah, all drunk and yeah. lies naked, and yeah, all kinds of queer curses, stuff's going to happen there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> curses yeah. his own son, and blah blah yeah. blah. But um, so he's clearly not perfect. But yeah, yeah. So that's one school of thought that maybe it just means his line was uncorrupted or unsoiled by this Nephilim seed. 
And that so, means they've certainly gone through a lot of people by then, right? Yeah, I mean, that, the Earth, certainly they didn't have the 7 billion people on the no, Earth then no, yet, no, but no, there was right. still like yeah. a fair few, right? It wasn't... Oh, yeah, well, there would have been at this time... We've got the, no the, indication yeah. as to yeah. what kind of population the we'll Earth come was, back right? to. I'll we'll come back to the story of Noah as a, as a whole in a moment before we get too far into it. But, mm-hmm. but just for the sake of this question, so it could mean that... It could be actually. This this is Ooh, gonna, another one. Okay, this, yeah. So this other one is that it, it could be a picture of his blamelessness in terms of his morality. That he, uh, if you're contrasting the morality of the world, mm-hmm. that there's some way in which this guy's morality or his heart for justice and truth mm-hmm. and wanting to live right is there. Mm-hmm. Doesn't make him perfect. Doesn't make him sinless. Mm-hmm. But he has a, a moral leaning towards rightness, towards righteousness. Yeah. Right. Okay. okay. So that also to me fits, um, that can fit the, the narrative. You're, I mean, it could just mean that he was regularly sacrificing and becoming clean. Or, yes, it could you know, mean, that's right, his heart sin. was leaned towards God and he was there. The question yeah. I would say is, is he the, which is what your original question was, is he the only one mm. who um, fit that bill? Mm. What, what about, surely there, surely there was one other one, Lord. <laughs> well, right. And yeah. his, but his kids also get a, get in they get on, a pass his, on They his, get a yeah. pass because Which, of it. So it does lean back to the Nephilim perspective, yeah. right? Um, and I don't think there's probably going to be any one answer to this. So what I want to do is take a 30,000 foot view and back up, because I'm well aware that listening to this story, there's going to be a whole bunch of our people. Mm-hmm. Who, well, there'll be two, two main groups of people in amongst our listeners. There'll be those of you who've been raised to emphatically 100% believe that this was a complete, absolute worldwide flood and that was literally exactly what happened. That's what I was raised to believe, that it was a worldwide flood, that there was a real Noah, that the story took place, and this is how it was. I have never – that is what I was raised to believe. I didn't think that there was any Any other other option. option. Uh So now you're about to hear about – there's another school of thought of people out there who are listening who are going to be going – uh, but this story was already told in the Babylonian myths and it was already told in uh, the ancient Assyrian myths and there's at least three other ancient writings that predate this story and predate the writing of this story which also have a flood narrative in them. Oh, yes, I've heard this. Okay. I've heard this before. Yep. Um, I think we might have touched on it I in Bible college. Oh, maybe Bible college, yeah. Yeah, okay. just, just yep. very briefly yeah, sure. from memory. Yeah. yeah. Now, there's a couple of schools of thought about this. So there's... Um, I actually did a bit of research, see if I can remember their names, because I can I can never remember the Babylonian myth. Let me just back up. I wanted to mention these the, the names of them. Uh, the the Eridu Genesis. This mm-hmm. is possibly the earliest known flood story dating back to about twenty three hundred BC. So at the time of this, this assuming this is the Torah which is being written by Moses, we're talking about mm. fourteen hundred BC. So this this myth dates back eight hundred years before that. The story tells of the creation of men and animals and of Ziasudra, who receives a divine revelation warning of an impending flood. Ziasudra then builds a large boat to survive the deluge. So that's, that one is just a myth that's been told. It's just not written down, it's spoken. The Epic of Athrahasis uh, dates to around 1800 BC, so 400 years or so before this. This Arcadian Babylonian epic includes a story where the gods led by Enil described the uh, decide to send a flood to wipe out humanity because they're just making too much noise. <laughs> <laughs> now that's funny. Yeah, that is funny, isn't it? <laughs> Arthur Sassus is a righteous man and he's warned by the god Enki to build a boat in order to survive. 
Then the most famous one, which is probably one of the most famous um, writings, actually, mm-hmm. um, one of the oldest pieces of literature in the whole world is the Epic of Gilgamesh, which is a Babylonian epic, dating to around 1800 to 1700 BC. The Epic of Gilgamesh features a flood story in the 11th tablet. In this tale, the hero Gilgamesh meets Uterusapitim. Sorry if I didn't pronounce that correctly. <laughs> Don't offend all my Babylonian friends. A man who was granted immortality by the gods. He tells how he survived a great flood, having been warned by the god to build a boat and fills it with pairs of all living creatures. Yeah. Okay, so we have here myths, stories that predate um, the, the, the account of Moses, the account mm-hmm. of the flood. So the question is, what do we do with that? Okay. Now, there is two ways to deal with that. Um, and I, I'm, my jury's open on either way. One is that it really did happen, and then as they spread out across the earth, just as stories and myths like get told, they get Chinese whispers. To- exactly. Right? Yeah, they just get told and twisted and yeah. used and adapted to their purposes. So that may be the case, right? Um, and some people's theology will, and this is kind of touched on this. We t- touched on this with um, with Becky when I was talking about Revelation. Some people's theology will demand that. You absolutely believe something 100%. You believe all the scripture 100% literally. If you don't, somehow all you have to throw all your faith out. I was taught that. I used to believe that. I don't believe that anymore. So I don't believe that that's 100% necessary. So I'm quite, I'm comfortable with the fact this could have been an actual story with a real Noah, and I don't have any problems with that. Um, and it was just then these other stories were, even though they predated this telling, they were still mm-hmm. based on this original telling. Or I'm also comfortable with the fact that when this story was written, this story was written down as a myth or as a fable to illustrate a point um, which was drawing on the beliefs of all the people around about them. Mm. I suspect, if you had to ask me what I suspect, I suspect that this is just my suspicion on it, is that a word, that there was so, uh, there was probably some history of some significant flood in the ancient Near East across the Mesopotamian world. There was some kind of flood that had spread and it had gone down through the ages. Something mm-hmm. had happened in that area of the world and that then they had adopted it. Mm-hmm. And Moses, under the um, anointing of the Holy Spirit, was adopting the story of Noah. Now, there's a few differences about this story compared to the Epic of Gilgamesh and the other ones. Most notably, in the other ones, the gods are punishing the humans. For, uh, it's more about the gods just being inconvenienced in some way. Mm-hmm. In this one, it's about it tells a tale of morality, so in these in the story of Moses, it's dealing with the issue. Sorry, of Noah, according to Moses writing it, it's dealing with the issue of human sin. Mm-hmm. It's dealing with it's it's not about a capricious God who's just sick of the humans because they're making too much noise. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not about some special man who was endowed by, with favor by God, and he gets all the favor of God, and everyone else just gets punished by this capricious God. It's none of that. Mm. This is this is the story of, of the Noah account. Is that humans have gone astray. They have lost their moral compass and the end result of that will be a flood of destruction across the earth. And mm. so God brought about a flood to uh, to hasten that coming. And then it's a story of grace because none of the others have the story of the rainbow. None of the others have the story of forgiveness or hope or a new covenant. Mm. Only the Bible story has that. And none of the others say at the end um, that everyone the whole earth came from Noah and his three children. Uh, I think the assumption is in the others that they, they started again too. You'd have to do some mm. comparisons, but to, especially the Epic of Gilgamesh. It's pretty it's specific the though that it says yeah. that well, everyone I know, Well, in the Epic of Gilgamesh, there. it does talk about this guy having his children in the boat as well. There's a lot of similarities. Right. In fact, yeah. he sends out birds 
and wow. the birds come back. There's a lot of similarity in the story. That's really interesting. Which should make you think, hang on a second, there's more going on than meets the eye here. Yeah, but I also think that it kind of reiterates that it's true. It's not one person saying, That's oh, this, this happened. Yep. My grandfather told me that yep. this happened or whatever. That's right. It's actually that many people and that yep. many different cultures yep. know that this happened. It's a so, part of the Earth's history. It's part of the Earth's history, yep. So I think what I'm trying to do is address to Christians who are purely literal, literalists, you have to you have to at least wrestle with the fact that um, if this is, is this 100% literal, that there are other stories that tell the same thing. What are you going to do with that? And that's a very valid assumption that maybe it was that it that was just proof that it did happen, that there hmm. was a, a, um, a flood that flooded at least this region, if not the whole world. Hmm. Um, but it's, I, I guess when it comes to these kind of stories, my, as I've changed my view about how I read the Bible, I'm less concerned with the literal aspect of whether it did happen or didn't happen. I think I could produce a good argument to say it did, and I can produce a good argument to say it wasn't literal. Neither of those changed the meaning of the story. Mm. The meaning of the story remains the same. The morality, the lesson for us behind it is mm-hmm. the same. That is, once again, that humans yeah. left to their own devices will create a flood of yeah. injustice and that God was resetting out of his grace and starting again and saying, I'm not finished with you, despite the fact you continually turn your back on me and on each other. I, mm. I want to bring about my plan of redemption through you. Yeah. So that doesn't change the story. So I just wanted to put that out there because I know there'll be people who will dismiss the concept of the flood and whatever. I don't think you dis- whether you believe it's literal or not does not need to affect what you believe about the Lord or what the story that the Lord, that this flood is story is trying to tell us. Yeah, yeah. I think that's important with any um – any podcast or any preaching video or anything yeah. that you listen to at the end of the day, as long as it doesn't change, it's okay for us to all have different views different and opinions, opinions That's and, and hypotheses. Yeah. hypotheses. Yep. Uh, however, at the end of the day, as long as Jesus remains at yep. the centre and right. a God who loves us and who made a way yep. um, for us to have a hope and a future. Yep, that's right. Right. And, th- and these stories are all taking place in, like if you place this on a timeline, these are, story, are all in what we would call the, um, I guess you'd say the, pre, the prehistoric era. They're all prior to written history. Hmm. So written history begins around about 16, 1700 BC and tablets and so on. Hmm. Prior to that, everything is told for audibly. So there's no writing. Oh, so no wonder there was um, Chinese whispers. Exactly. Those and family stories were told. You know, the, that doesn't yeah. mean that there aren't cave writings and all, there is that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. But in terms of what we would, what archaeologists would call historical tablets and writing and and codified law and all that kind of structures, mm-hmm. see, this is pre. I shouldn't say prehistoric. It's pre-civilization. It's prehistoric sounds like yeah. Prehistoric um, sounds like dinosaurs. dinosaurs. There's a term for it. But it's pre-civilization. It's the earliest. Well, in that civil, civilization, mm-hmm. the forming up of cities and all that, which is what this is happening in this book of Genesis and mm-hmm. Genesis five. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, thereabouts, up to mm-hmm. Genesis eleven, actually, um, is all about uh, the forming of civil in the early days of civilization. Mm. Between the period of about three thousand and two thousand BC is right. when c- cities are starting to form on the earth. So there's a lot of building and that kind of stuff happening here, which it just means that we should be more. We have to be comfortable with the fact that while it while it's okay totally to believe it's one hundred percent accurate and inspired by the Lord. 
we can also be comfortable with the fact that even if it's not accurate, it doesn't mean God isn't telling his story through mm. the frailties of yeah. human ability to communicate in an era where writing wasn't really a big deal. Yeah, right. Okay. Okay. Um, you can ask well, about the boat and the size yeah, of the boat. Yeah, I was, but you know what? Given what we've just what was your question about the size? Well, of the boat? it was just a size comparison. Like, can you fit everything in there? It's in the boat? actually not that big. Um, so the NLT says it was four hundred and fifty feet. Mm-hmm. Google told me five hundred and ten feet. Mm-hmm. Depends on the cubits. So a cubit depends on whether the cubit is from your elbow to your wrist or your elbow to your hand. Oh, wow. So, the, so two different. Slightly different measurements. And you, yeah, yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. So are we wrong about the cubit though? Could we be completely incorrect about what a cubit um, is? I don't know. I, I, or, you know, yeah, like, I'm not I sure. guess it's I don't not know. probably not something you can answer really. I guess it was more a rhetorical conversation about the fact that. It's, we're not like, talking about a big boat here. Yeah. It's, it's really quite hard to believe that. Every single kind of uh, animal. I've, I've actually seen teaching on this that actually says that um, you could fit two of every kind of known animal on the planet and some into less than a third of the ark. Really? Yeah. Every single yeah. kind? Yeah. So they did similarities on, okay, what are the 450 feet long? Because most animals on the planet are actually very small. The vast mm. majority of animals on our planet are very small. Okay. So I'm just saying if you want to take it totally literally – uh, if, you can do, yeah. if you are taking it totally literally, this boat yeah. is plenty big enough. Uh, it's like numbers of railway carriages long. Mm. So it's like two kilometre long railway carriage, even though it's all because it's multiple levels and heights and all that sort of stuff and widths. So mm-hmm. I haven't got all that information in front of me, but yes, it's plenty yeah, big enough yeah. to fit all the animals in about a third of the wow. ark. There's more than enough room in here. The other thing I would say is that if you build this ark, it's, it's built to float, which right. is another indication there's something going on because um, – because they wouldn't have had the engineering capacity to build boats in that day, let alone build a boat like this. This boat, unlike most boats which are built with a key, with a with a bow that's designed to cut through the water and go somewhere, mm-hmm. the shape of this ark, you know, you've probably seen in the movies, the traditional shape of the ark, it's not built to go anywhere. Yeah. It's built purely to float. It's built to be... And sta- it says you, that it's covered in tar, tar for waterproofing. Waterproofing, yep. Yeah. And just the shape of it, just the, if you take it, you think about it, photos you've seen of Noah's Ark, compare them with what you would see of a modern ship. Modern ships are much more narrow and pointy at the bow, so they mm-hmm. go somewhere. This Ark is built wider mm-hmm. and it's stable. It's right. not supposed to go anywhere. Yeah. That's the point. It's just supposed to stay afloat. God will direct where it goes. So there's some good evidence there that whether, you know, if, if you don't take it literally, mm. if you decide not to take it literally, you've got to, you've got to ask yourself, well, um, why would there be so much attention to detail on a boat that actually does float, actually does work? And they couldn't have designed this. They didn't have the engineering capacity yeah. to design this at the time. Yeah. And yet it, here it is in ancient writings, a boat that actually does float really well. Mm. Yeah. Um, I, I think I wrote this question for a little bit later on. However, just while we're talking about the logistics of this, I did read somewhere, or maybe I heard it somewhere, that it was it had never rained before. Well, Does it say it, that somewhere it, it's specifically implied. in the Bible, or it's is it implied? implied? It's yeah. implied in the creation story. Yeah, that it that had never rained. There's the waters above and the waters beneath and the got the snow dome, mm-hmm. and it's implied that the opening of the waters above, because it actually says in Genesis that no rain had come on the earth in those days, and that um, let me see if I can find it. No rain had come on the earth in those days. Instead, springs came up from below the earth and watered the earth. So I think it's in 
Yeah, and, it's and then he says that he too. stops the springs when he stops the flooding happening. Um, if you've yes, seen the stops up, he Russell Crowe Noah, the, the Russell Crowe Noah with all Noah the funny story. demon guys uh, climbing all over the <laughs> well, ark, then yeah. Nef- Nephilites, right? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I so assume they probably would be. Yeah. Um, it, I mean, it's a pretty intense picture of it, but yes. it's actually not that like the water coming up from the ground. Yeah. When I saw that, I went. Oh yeah, that kind of makes more sense now that I'm seeing a visual of it. Yes, it's um, not that it's gospel truth, of course. I'm not no, saying go watch there, a movie well, it instead of reading that, it. It but says the springs of the earth. Yes, gave yes. Way. But when yes. I saw the picture of it, yes. I went, oh, yes. oh yeah, I see what that means now. Like yeah. it makes more sense than forty days. Of, I mean, we've had forty days of rain, right? We've experienced that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's both. I, yeah. I think I think there's you, know, you have to see that in this in this story. It is flood. It is rain. Mm. It's the rain above, and it's the water above. It's it's water below. It's all coming. Yeah, right. Earth. Yeah. So um, if it had never rained before, it makes more sense that everyone like kind of laughed at Noah. Yeah. Why are you building this boat? There's no water around here. What are you up to? What and are it, you yeah. talking about? What is this yeah. thing? Well, I mean, would they have even had a boat before? Uh, yeah. Exactly. Well. We don't even know, don't know if they've ever sailed we, because we don't know where they are. We, like we, we, how close they are to the. To the oceans. Well, There's, and you also said that you know they wouldn't have had engineering like this before. No, not not to be able to build something of this grand this is scale. It took him so took early him a long time in human history yeah. that they're like, well, yeah. Incidentally, it's implied, not mm. enforced, that everyone ridiculed him. That's actually just an implication we make based on the fact, like you're saying, it doesn't yeah. actually say that. Anyway. No, I was gonna. That was another question I had um, yeah. a little later on yeah. um, as well. But but it would yeah, make sense I, that everyone would think, what are you up to, you crazy guy? Yeah, you know? it does make sense. Yeah, but that's yeah. implied. Not It's not there in black and white. No, yeah. There's yeah. a lot in this story that we want to try to pull apart, mm. but we're trying to ask 21st century questions of a 1400 yeah. BC this, story. We say this all the time, like these, nearly every are, podcast, yeah, exactly. right? These it's, are not the questions it's trying to deal with. No. So that's what I mean by don't get hung up on the literalness of it. That's no. not tr- – whether it is or not, that does not change the story. Mm. The story is – remains the same regardless. Yeah. We can miss the point of the story because we focus on all these other what ifs and Oh, well, yeah. yeah, I mean, but at the same time, picking these verses apart helps us to highlight the true message yep, of the story, that's right? right? Oh, totally. So, it's, pick it apart, but don't pick it apart and get hung up on that one little thing like where is yep. it? Like part of me is sitting here thinking, "Oh, oh, wow, this new concept that it's just a fable." I, my head's going no, I'm not really ready to just Good. let go of the literalness no. of it. However, who cares? That's what I want you to do. I want you to be thinking <laughs> about it. At the end of the go, day, I'm like. In the end, that's not the gonna, that's not going to affect not, your faith. Exactly. I'm not going to go home and start researching. I mean, no. if I came across some text, great. But yeah. Well, there'll be plenty of people who would the end stick of the day, to the literalness the of it yeah. but still miss the story. Yeah. And you might be right in taking it literally if it's a literal story, but you still yeah. miss the point of the story because you're focused on trying to prove it scientifically. Yeah. Or, exactly. And, and you've missed what is what is this story trying to teach us. Yeah. Always that's the primary question. Where am I? What What is happening in this story and where am I in this story? Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, well, we've gotten through a lot of my questions for the next Genesis chapter. But, okay. But um, it's good. Um, so let's move on. Go to chapter 7.
Okay, chapter Genesis chapter 7. Uh, the flood covers the earth. We've um, already talked about some of it. You're talked, right, haven't you? Yeah. We have talked a lot about, I've just kind of skimmed over my questions and we've already gone into a little bit of the detail. So this will be a quick one. However, well, I always... The first I, I, one was always, 45 minutes, so, uh, <laughs> so maybe it will be a bit quicker. We'll see how we go. I always say that it'll go quicker, but, you know, um, who can shut this guy up? Uh, <laughs> this is true. We were setting up the story of Noah, so... It does. Um, yeah, so uh, my first... Let's just jump straight to verse two. My first part was take with you seven pairs, male and female, of each animal I have approved for eating and for sacrifice. Um, so the seven pairs for the sacrificing is we don't actually see him sacrifice anything until he gets off the boat. Or is he sacrificing while he's on the boat? What's... Is there a significance in this particular part? And also take, I know numbers are important, (laughs) and also take seven pairs of every kind of bird. So why seven pairs of every kind of bird compared to just a pair of all the other animals? Is there some Um, sort of significance in this number game in these couple of verses? I don't know the answer. I'd say, first of all, I'd say he probably wasn't sacrificing it animals on an altar on a boat because well, that's what I thought. I thought, My dad was in the Navy. He says, thought, how are they gonna, even though you're surrounded it? by water, he says the worst thing you can have on a boat is fire. Well, how, are, how are they cooking the animals to eat? Yeah, good point. Yeah, well, yeah, it's right. I thought this too when I was reading. Yeah. <laughs> like, Maybe they had ways to cook on boat. I mean, I know knows? some of these questions are, are, yeah. are not really relevant, yeah. but the, the number the se- part the I seven thought. pairs of male and female animal. For um, sacrificing, yeah. I so thought So we'll obviously have to be eating. So maybe yeah. that's part of it is that somehow they were eating during this time. Yep. Um, once again, we're, we're making the assumptions it's purely literal. So yeah. we, let's assume. That, let's and assume, that's, yeah. And that's clearly that's what the New Testament writers believed it was a literal story. So mm-hmm. we're not in bad company to, to no, believe no, it's a literal story. No, no, that's right. It's, it was sort of later on into church history, early church history, where they started to mm. um, different schools, um, well-known people, Augustine and well-known church leaders started to think that these stories don't need to be literal. But mm-hmm. at the time of Jesus, they certainly were. It was just more as, as time yeah. went on. Um, I so think my main the thought seven, around this was the numbers, the yeah. seven pairs of the eating and sacrifice animals and then the one pair of each of the others, but it, then the seven pairs of every kind of bird. bird yeah. Maybe, it's birds are more, of, maybe birds are more fickle. Maybe, uh, maybe yeah. they fly away and they couldn't find their mate. I mean, it's, <laughs> it, it, you basically, I don't know. There'll be, there'll be answers. I'm sure scholars have, sure, I'm sure the Midra- Hebrew the Midrash has picked part of this part yeah. at length and the Jewish rabbis had, would, in the post-exilic era would have had a great time trying to pull all this apart and work out what it all means. Seven definitely means completion. We know that. Okay? Yeah. So there's a significance there. Um, maybe, yeah, maybe the birds are more fickle. Than, but then again, what happens if you take, two of every animal on board and one of them dies and you go, oh, no, well, that's the end of that race. That's the, yeah. that's the end of that type of animal. So there's a lot there that, you know, is left to yeah. left unanswered yeah. in this story. I thought maybe the sacrificing, obviously they're probably not sacrificing on the boat. But they'd be wanting to afterwards. Yeah, they, yeah well, they he do. did. He, he did. does. He, does. Right. He, he builds an altar straight away. nine or something. Um, but then I thought maybe it was like, ensuring that there would be – because obviously, all right, so you've only got one pair of a, a spotless lamb, right? Yep. So you know that that a baby that these two create, these two lambs mm-hmm. create, will 
give you at least, you know, yep. however many lambs come out of one. Yeah, not many. Do they call it a litter? Anyway, um, not many, right? Yeah, not many. So seven of them, though, would ensure that you had enough to sacrifice while you're setting up and establishing the Yeah, earth. and eat too, I so, suppose. So, like, maybe yeah, it's maybe completely so. practical. Yeah, but well, the whole seven thing, I thought, well, if it means completion, does it mean that God is completing and blessing these numbers and these figures and he's got his hand on it. I think it does. I yeah. think that's how you'd have That's to all read it, it is. It's not really I, anything more than I don't than... think you'd read any more into it than that. Okay, cool. All right. No I doubt thought... some of the rabbis did, but I I, I think that makes perfect sense to oh, me. Oh good. I definitely yeah. thought that cool. I was wrong. <laughs> so no, I was no, like, I no, I'm I gonna ask this. I think in I mean there's there's a lot of sevens and forties in this story. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, that that it tells us something. Yeah. Um that there is definitely Bible numerics at work. There is a there's a message mm-hmm. being hidden in the in the sevens and the forties. Yeah, um, seven being you know the day of completion, the number of completion. Forty being the number of testing and so on. So those stories are there, but mm. I don't think it's. I don't know. I have to Google it, but I reckon your answer is as good as anything I would have come up with. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. that's nice. Considering you thought it wasn't a good answer, no, I, I well, think it is. I, I thought I just looked if, at it and went. Purely at a practical level, he's got to be able to eat. They've got to be yeah. able to eat when they get off yeah. the boat. If yeah. they've got pairs, they can have that many. They can be having. Uh, siblings, mm. they can be having children, and those children can be lambs that they can then roast and eat. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I don't think they make many. I don't think lambs have too, you know, I don't think sheep have too many lambs in yeah. their in their litter, as you said, or whatever. It's, I don't litter? think it's called litter. Yeah, I don't no. think it's called litter. <laughs> but I don't think they have too many. Yeah, right. Yeah, fair yeah. enough. Um, so yeah, practical stuff, I guess. Yeah. I, I mean, and I guess that tells us as well. This is a story with practical things that are in it. And it's not all, you know, Nephilites and Avengers no. movie style things. <laughs> right. It's it's like, hey, this is how it's going to work yep. and how I'm actually going to repopulate yep. the earth. I'll repopulate through this family. Yeah. Yep. Um, and everything else other than <laughs> floodwaters covered the earth for 150 days. I wrote, that's a long cruise. And that was a bit <laughs> so of a really dig at you because you love your cruises. Oh, I could handle it. Um, Give me 150 <laughs> days on a cruise any day. I'll be right. Um, but I guess I will finish uh, this particular chapter because we have covered a lot of um, a lot of it in the first sec- segment. Uh, verse 16, the Lord closed the door behind them. Mm-hmm. And I thought I would, unless you have anything else to add to this, I thought it, I would just mention that I'd never noticed that before and I really sat on it for a little while and then I realised it's just he sealed this. Yes. His Our safety is in him. Yep. It's his promises and he's got his hand on it. He is yep. the one that closed the door behind yep. them. He's the one that said, yep, this is my You are my safe mission. in here. You are safe yep. and I've got And this. the implication also is that God closing the door means no one can open the door either. Mm. Well, yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, yeah I love which that. Which I think the New Testament writers will probably pick up on and talk about, you know, the finality of of being in Christ mm. and the only way in is through Christ. He's he's like our ark. Yeah. And so, yeah, you've got to come in through the door and if God closes the door, sooner, sooner or later God's going to close the door, you've got to be inside mm. when he closes it. Yeah. Um. So they kind of riff off that whole yeah. theory a little bit. Yeah, but and I think, I think what I get from that as well is that well, and I hope that our listeners are, are receiving as well. Um, whether you have a literal view of this story, or you have, uh, you think that it could just be a fable. Yep. Um, it doesn't really matter. I just hope that, even though we're reading a story about a particular people of a particular time, and it's not 
directed to us. I hope the Lord has said to you today, I love you. My yep, pro- your your future is in in me. Yep. My you are, Jesus you are safe. is your ark. Jesus is your ark. Yes, absolutely. I have promised you yep. life. Yep. Um, and and it's the picture. That's what the New Testament is picking up on. I think it's Peter picks up on it and is talking about about riffing off, riffing off the whole Noah story and explaining mm. how Jesus is like the ark. That's the mentality he has that mm. we are in Christ. We are we are protected mm. in Christ from the flood of justice. Or sorry, yep. the flood of sin. Results of you know mm. judgment around about us, and God locks us in. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Uh, he protects us. Nothing's getting in when He shuts the door. Yeah. So in your life, if you're in Christ, you're safe. That's good. Yep, for sure. All right. All right. Let's we're going to go to chapter eight. Okay, Genesis chapter 8, we're reading about when the flood recedes. We have Mm -hmm. talked a lot about um, what is said um, in this chapter, so we won't spend much time on it. However, um, please don't skip over this part. It's it's a really great story Um, and it details how long – they were in the boat yep. for, which and is all contrary to what a lot of people think. They think, oh, 40 days and forty nights. No, they're in the no, boat. For, they're yeah. in the boat for a long time. Well, uh, I mean, we've had a year, I think. Yeah, um, yeah, we've had a lot of rain locally here in the last, yeah. you know, twelve months yeah. or so. And we know that the ground is quite soft. Could you imagine? Yep. So uh, it makes sense, but it also makes me feel like our lockdown, dare I say the L word, our lockdown <laughs> was um, nothing compared to this. Could yeah. you imagine not even being able to go outside? We're not like, being able to go outside with all those smelly animals. Oh, gosh. Yeah. It would would have been – and scary too. I mean, there's lions and, yeah. you know, <laughs> hungry tigers and <laughs> like it just makes me – and snakes. Yeah. <laughs> well, see, so the, the, those that – take it literally have to wrestle and I yeah. said about wrestling with the size of the boat for yeah. those that don't take it literally yeah. those that take it literally have to wrestle with well how did the, la- the animals needed to eat too so how, what did they eat yeah exactly so the standard but there's a lot more yeah, to it but to you know story. what still read it because it's still yeah. amazing yep. um so even though I'm skipping to verse 21 um don't do that read it it's great um yeah I picked up a lot more this time than I, good. yeah, you know, That's every good. other time I've read it. So, um, yeah, just because you think you know the story doesn't. No, no, this yeah. is the, the Noah yeah. story is one that's worth questioning, writing down and writing why next to lots of lines because yeah. you'll get some good nuggets if you just take time to just don't assume you know the story. Yeah, and you know what else is cool? Um, the little, in my Bible app, the little speech bubbles next to certain things yep. give you little explanations of words. Sometimes yep. they also um, link it to other sp- scriptures yep, true. and passages in that the Bible. So it's actually really cool to do a bit more of a study and dig deeper into what That's God great. wants to reveal That's to you. That's what we so want people to do. Go Just for take it. Time to Have study. fun. All right. So verse 21, um, he's, uh, he's off the boat and the Lord uh, – and. <laughs> The Lord didn't build the altar. Noah built the altar, um, and he sacrificed his burnt offerings, the animals and birds that he had been that had been, and birds 
that had been approved for that purpose. Mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, well, they would sacrifice birds as well. Oh, yeah, see, I always had this picture that it had to be a lamb or a cow. or uh, Even in Jesus. Um, yeah. Even, even when Jesus was offered, it says the law required that a lamb be bought or two doves or something. Oh, two doves. Yeah, So right. it actually does allow for birds as well. Yeah, there yep. you go. Yeah. Um, of course it did, yeah. Okay, and the Lord was pleased with the aroma of the sacrifice and said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of the human race, even though everything they think or imagine is bent toward evil from childhood. I will never again destroy all living things. As long as the earth remains, there will be planting and harvest cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night. I think that's really poetic. Mm-hmm. Um, but also this, he's already promising just from that sacrifice, he's already promising that he will never again. So it's like the aroma of that sacrifice kind of made him go, well, yeah. Even though humans were still sinful, it says, even though they were bent towards evil from childhood, yeah, he still wants to redeem. Yeah. All day he's reaching out, wanting to invite us back into relationship with him. As long as the earth remains. So again, to me that word, I don't know if it says it differently in any other version, but as long as the earth remains kind of indicates that it might not at some point, but there will be planting and harvest and there will be cold and heat mm-hmm. and there will be summer and winter and day and night. Like it's the world will keep turning. Yep. Let me, let me give or you. Or is an, it just is poetic? It, well, no, I, I think it's a bit of both. I think it's God's poetic. I will, I will say that I'm, I'm concerned about how I have heard this translated <laughs> uh, or, or interpreted. So this word, as long as the earth remains, there'll be planting and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, night, day and night. They see that as an absolute moral promise that therefore doesn't require any uh, um, any um, responsibility mm-hmm. from humans. So Ooh. the anti-climate change people, for instance, oh, yeah, those right. that are in the anti-climate change Christian perspective, yeah. will say it doesn't matter what we do with the earth because God says it's going to always be there. God says, they, they, oh, so they read this no. as God saying, planting, building, it's always going to happen. Don't worry about it. It's not your responsibility. You're just, you're just there to use the earth however you want. That's not your, that's not your responsibility. Oh. It's up to God. Oh, wow. So, so, I didn't even think of that. Well, that's, I've actually heard that quoted by some conservative Christians who oh, actually use goodness. that argument. Now, if you come from a purely, see that as a 100% watertight promise mm-hmm. on its own, I can see how they can come to that perspective. Mm. However, I think in... My view, just my perspective, is based on the, the rest of the mm-hmm. evidence and the weight of Scripture, especially the earlier chapters of Genesis where the, the concept is stewarding the earth and caring for it, mm-hmm. not not ruling over and reigning over it in some kind of destructive way where we just use up its resources, but one where we actually mm. we care for the earth, um, then this Scripture out of context is cannot be used that way. Mm. So there are good many, well many people use it that way, but I do not believe for a moment that's what that's saying. I think that's, yeah, a, right. poor, that's, I think that's a gross distortion of what oh, the scripture gosh, is saying. it's awful, really. And we don't need to care about the earth because God will care about the earth. I mean, those to those same group of people that think that, you could also say, well, as long as the earth remains, it says it's pretty clear that 
if, <laughs> if the Earth remains. Yeah, if it's the right. Earth doesn't remains. Mention, it so doesn't mention how the Earth, maybe the Earth's not going to remain because, because these, humans screw it up. If yes, these evil right. bent toward evil from childhood humans. Very good interpretation, it, Amanda. Treat it badly, then, yeah, really, you know, we're going to destroy really good, it. Really However, this isn't a environmental. No, we're not talking environment here. <laughs> Anti-climate change or climate change podcast. No. How, However, I personally, if you know me well, I'm I'm a big advocate for recycling and FOGO and making it last because there's nothing I hate more than landfill. Yes, that's Um, right. Yeah, and I think that's that's to me, it's just a a gross misuse of yeah, yeah. Is it a promise? Is it poetic? I think it is poetic, Mm -hmm. but I think it's God's way of saying. I'm I'm faithful. Even though you continue to mess yeah. it up, I will continue yeah. in spite of you yeah. to bring about my plan on the earth. Mm. Yeah, yep. that's beautiful. Yep. Thank you, God. All right. That was about it for Genesis 8. Let's go yeah. to Genesis 9. Okay, Genesis 9, home stretch of the Noah story yep. here. Um, day three, if you are following along um, on our daily uh, readings. So day three, day four. Day four. It's day four. Um, Six, seven, eight, nine, day yeah, four. Yeah, day four. Gosh, yep. here I'm um, already on skipping ahead, going backwards in my days. All right, so Genesis 9, covenant. Um, this is the covenant. So he confirms his covenant with with Noah and with people. Um, let, let's read because let's read it because again, there's this creation story language yep. again, um, which exactly. Is, it's a, it's this is the new creation now. We've yeah, had deep creation, new, new creation. creation. So yep. um, I think it's important that we read it together. Yep. So let's let's read it. Then God blessed Noah and his sons and told them, "Be fruitful and multiply." Fill the earth, all the animals of the earth, all the birds of the sky, all the small animals that scurry along the ground and all the fish in the sea will look on you with fear and terror. I have placed them in your power. I have given them to you for food just as I have given you grain and vegetables. Interesting for the... um, for the vegans out there. <laughs> yes. Um, yep. But you must never eat any meat that still has the lifeblood in it. Mm-hmm. Lifeblood is why they halal and they drain That's it. That's correct. Blah, 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 yep. right? Yep. Just for the, because they believe the life to clarify is in that the blood. For, yeah. That will come out much later in the law. It will yep. come out uh, in two weeks' time from this podcast. I'll be having a conversation with Jeff, which I've already had like a month ago, <laughs> yeah. but um, about atonement. And it yeah, will come out and right. we'll explain yeah. in some depth about what happens when sacrifices are made and what the blood is all about. So it will yeah. hang in there a couple of weeks. Yeah, cool. Um, so this is where it gets a bit curly. Um, <laughs> and I will require the blood of anyone who takes another person's life. If a wild animal kills a person, it must die. And anyone who murders a fellow human must die. If anyone takes a human life, that person's life will also be taken by human hands. For God made human beings in his own image. Now be fruitful and multiply and repopulate the earth. So just quickly pausing before I keep going. When I first read that, I was like, whoa, this is pretty full on. It's obviously where the 
um, death penalty kind of thing Capital comes punishment. in. Yeah, well, Cap- this is really know, the first indication now, of any kind of law. Prior to the Moses law, we're seeing There's not really anything, right? Yep. But if we put on our Pastor Rowan goggles and read it from, because you always say this, read it from its from context, con- in its context in that time. Yep. Really, it's because it was so bad before. They were killing each other. Yep. They were murderous. No, they it. were, you know, am I right yep. or Absolutely. That's am what I on doing. the wrong track? No, you're on the right track. Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah, totally. That's what it's saying. That's it, showing the value of human life, which is yeah. the exact opposite of what yeah. they seem to be doing beforehand where they were choosing the value of their own lives over everybody else's. Yeah. And then it, and it would end in death. And mm. here God's saying to Noah, the exact opposite of that, you need to value the lives of others. Mm. So is there any point where this whole like death penalty thing should stop other than Jesus? Is there any point where someone says, oh, look, you know, death penalty, like you can throw them in prison? <laughs> oh, I see. Okay. Or should that still be? Right. Is this a... You're asking me the really curly question, aren't you? Well, I mean, I, it, we can say it, okay, in its context, in the time, and say, yes. okay, this is for them. But at the same time, he's saying that... Right. The, well, I believe... If someone murders someone, they, they should die. also die. Yep. So did Jesus... Does it stop with Jesus? I believe so. Okay. Yeah. There are Christians who will disagree with me. There are Christians who advocate because of these reasons that capital punishment still exists. You get large mm. portions of the southern evangelical church in mm. America where many of the states in the US, um, the death penalty is still legitimate, will yeah. fight for it. I have major doctrinal – I know why they argue that because they, they're coming with this approach to the Bible. Yes. That it was written there in the law of Moses and Jesus never rescinded it or whatever. Mm. Um, I think I think it was, it was there in the Roman law as well. That, mm-hmm. You know, the reason Jesus was crucified by Romans is because the Jews said, well, he, according to our law, he has to die, mm. but we haven't got the rights. We, we don't have the rights. We're under Roman rule. You have to do it for us. We can't kill anybody. Mm. Right. We're not, we're not allowed to um, do that. So that's why Jesus was killed under Roman law. Yeah. I think, though, the overarching principle of grace mm. demands the opposite. I think it demands that capital punishment should never be allowed. Okay. That does not mean that I don't believe there aren't consequences for sin. Absolutely. I believe that mm. I believe that a person could be locked up for the rest of their lives. Yeah. Um, I have no problem with that whatsoever. That's the that that that, uh, that it, the justice of God demands that there are consequences mm-hmm. for actions. But I think that the justice of God um, also demands and requires that that no human should take another person's life as a form of judgment. Mm. And there are there are extensions onto that that uh, there'll be other Christians will believe that no Christian should take up arms and you shouldn't fight in a war and all that. I, mm. It's a very complex matter. I don't hold to that. But I would also say I don't think I've really spent, ever spent thousands of hours unpacking and coming up with a solid theological view. You yeah. probably pull, you pro- probably my argument's a straw man argument actually. You could probably pull it apart and straight away and go, well, if you don't believe in critic, if you don't believe in capital punishment, why do you, but you believe it's okay for Christians to go to war and mm. fight for their nation? Well, I probably mm. do, but I don't even know why I do. Yeah, well, that's yeah. that's true too. The whole war thing. Yeah, because you I are mean, killing people. You are killing people so, in war. You know, I'm saying that to be open God. and honest and say, so I've not done the research in this, so I don't presume to be an authority on it. I know what I, I have, I could probably give you a rough argument, mm. but I, I don't know how really good and strong the argument is. There are lots of wars in the Old Testament. Yep. Um, and God seems to be in amongst it. 
once again, I would say that's a historical in its historical context. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, but why isn't it part of our history now? Like, why couldn't it be? So it makes sense that we just assume that it's okay yeah. for people to go to war. Do they get a free ticket though? Is that, you know, exactly. <laughs> which kind of defeats the purpose. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah. I know that's a really difficult it, well, one. Well, it is a really complicated one and it probably requires some really deep thought for all of us because it's all part of an essential worldview that we have. Yeah. Um, so. And I suppose as, as Australians it's not so much of an issue for us because we don't have capital punishment here. No. We don't have the death penalty. No. Um, however, it, it's still a thing. It's yeah. still something well, that is. Um, pastors Robin Christie Buckingham used to be C three pastors, they're not anymore. But they um, they went to Indonesia, and Christie was there with the bar uh, the Bali Nine, well, the guys that uh, the yeah my um, the guy there was a few of them that Christ, became Christians, but they yeah that was the Bali Nine, Bali wasn't Nine, it? Yeah. yeah, but he was they were executed. Yes, um, and yes. Christy, they were sh- shot. They were shot. Mm. So Robin Christie Buckingham from Melbourne went there and stayed with them and, and lobbied for them, their freedom. And Christie actually was there when they were executed um, because they wanted her there. So they, they're people who obviously have thought this through in great depth and have, mm. and have come up with this view that capital punishment should not happen. Mm. And I admire that perspective. I mean, it took tremendous courage for a pastor to mm. sit there and watch someone be executed under... Indonesian law. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So um, moving on from that, I think, enough about the death yes, penalty. Yes, yeah, sure. Um, so then God told Noah and his sons, I hear, oh, sorry, my phone's just. Then God told Noah and his sons, I hereby confirm my covenant with you and your descendants and with all the animals that were on the boat with you, the birds, the livestock and all the wild animals, every living creature on earth. Yes, I am confirming my covenant with you. Never again will floodwaters kill all living creatures. Never again will a flood destroy the earth. I feel like he's just reiterating mm-hmm. this, like, I'm not going to do this I'm not going to do this. He finished off chapter eight with it and he's still doing it. Yeah. Then God said, I'm giving you a sign of my covenant with you and with all living creatures for all generations to come. I have placed my rainbow in the clouds. It is the sign of my covenant with you and with all the earth. Um, when I send clouds over the earth, the rainbow will appear in the clouds and I'll remember my covenant with you and with all living creatures. Never again will the floodwaters destroy all life. I love that it's repetitive. Mm. Um, he's really reiterating this. But what I thought about the rainbow was that my first thought was what I learnt a rainbow actually was in science in high school and that it's like there's actually a scientific reason. Diffraction you know, of yeah, light. Yeah, it's light and it go. it's quite a lot bigger. It's not like there's actually no end to a rainbow and it's this beautiful picture that just happens when it's rained, when the sun hits on it at this right angle and we see this beautiful, everyone still, like yep. no matter how old you are, go, oh, Wow, what a do. rainbow, right? You still go, it's, it's right there. It's Surely right there. there. But how beautiful <laughs> is it? It's such a beautiful reminder. And I kind of love that God is not only is he creative, 
but he's also a scientist. Oh yeah. Don't you don't I just think yeah. I'm I'm yeah. a creative, you know yeah. I'm a creative, yeah. but I'm also very administratively minded. Yeah. I'm very organized. Maths was my best subject at school. Right. I am I'm both. Yeah, I am yeah, one sure. of those people that are both. Yeah. And I love that God is like that. I get that he's not just a creative it was just throw a rainbow out there that he's actually orchestrated. He's orchestrated yeah. this beautiful way that the world spins and the rain hits it and I just think it's stunning. Yep. And it makes me really awe at the wonder and majesty Amazing. of our God. Amazing. Hmm. That's good. I'm I'm, I'm 100% left brain so I can look <laughs> at a rainbow and go, oh, yeah, it's nice. But then straight away my brain goes to, you know, all the water droplets and the angle of the sun going mm. through the water droplets and diffracting all into, into a full spectrum. And I'm more fascinated by that than I am about the fact that it's a rainbow and it looks nice. But that's just me. You know, but everyone's different. Yeah. To me, it's the wonder. I'm, I like I amp up the scientific to the other oh, end, and I get blown away by the the scientific wonder of the rainbow rather than the yeah, it's a nice, pretty colours in the sky. <laughs> yeah, I think it's important to note that a lot of scientists, a lot of these famous people in our history that have discovered you know, stars and moons and and how all of oh, the of world the works have converted yeah, to Christianity of, because or, 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 or believe in God because yeah. they've as they've studied, they've gone, there is no way yeah. that this wasn't created. Yeah. But what an amazing creator. Yes, that's it's, right. Pretty it's, spectacular. It is um, indeed. Anyway, so just a little little aside there on the l- rainbow. Little side on the rainbow because there isn't like I did have a question about you know is it true that it had, had never rained before, which we already touched yeah. on, but really it was just a moment because a rainbow really is a sign of His wonder and majesty. Yes, it so is. So why wouldn't why shouldn't we take a moment to glorify God right well, now? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> every we, time every you know, time you see a rainbow. Yeah, yeah that idea not just is now as we're sh- talking about it, no, but every time every you see time it. Every time you see a rainbow, go, wow, that's my God. Mm. You know, he, and, and once again, regardless of whether you take it literally or not, how many times did it say, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to, I'm going to protect you, I'm going to watch over you, mm. I, I will not let the earth be destroyed, I will, I will shut you in the ark, all that kind of stuff. That yeah. should be the stuff that we reflect on every time we see a rainbow. Yeah. This is a sign of God's covenant faithfulness with us. Yeah. Whatever yeah. you get out of this story, that's, yep. yeah, that's something that For we sure. really should meditate on. Yep. His wonder and majesty. Yep. Um. Uh, my next question, verse 18, Noah's sons, all the people who populate the earth, mm-hmm. um, all people who populate the earth from these three sons. Yep. We touched on that already. Still, I think that's insane that the whole, whole earth, 7 billion people. Comes from these three Are, are we up to 7 billion now? We are, aren't oh, we? Yep, yep, 7, we're over billion 7 billion people. Yep. People came from three couples. Mm-hmm. Or four, if four you include you Noah and his wife. Yep. So <laughs> yep. but I just think that's incredible yep. um, and kind of weird. But anyway, <laughs> um, so there's no real question on that. Just, yeah, again, it goes back to the whole literal, non-literal yep. thing. Honestly, when I was looking through this, though, I did not think that that would come up, that that I was. It never occurred to you. Right, no, never no. occurred to me. So, and I've been a Christian my whole life. Yeah, okay, there you go. Well, there's lots of people I meet who question that. That's why I want to, I'm constantly finding I need to bring it up, especially with the younger generation. Mm, I think I, I think I may have thought how, and maybe mm-hmm. it was slightly different to how it's described. Maybe it was just, I mean, they at one point they thought the Earth was flat, so That's right. yeah. they could have 
it could have just been that one continent unless, yep. the, you know, if the continent no, well, the separated those by questions, then. And, and look, not to say that literalists haven't asked those questions. They mm. have. And the, a, a good literalist will have gone through, and I was raised in this totally, yeah. 100%. So I was raised in creation science, answers yeah. and Genesis stuff. These guys will go through this and they will find and deposit an answer for everything. Yeah, every question. Uh, every yeah. question because they're yeah. genuinely wanting to do that. Um, and that's totally fine. Mm. You know, some of those answers are strong. Some of those answers, in my opinion, are probably reading too much into it that's that's, that's not really there, but that's totally mm. fine. Um, like an example, you said, well, what about the animals? Mm-hmm. How did they get fed? Well, the answer is, well, God put them into a sleep. Mm. But there's a presumption of that. It's mm. a valid presumption, but the scripture doesn't say that. Yep. It doesn't tell us God put them to sleep for like 12 months into hibernation, but you have to think about it. Well, that must have been what happened if you're thinking about it literally. So, yeah, so right. people have thought these things through, yeah. but yet you automatically have to go beyond the testimony of Scripture. Mm-hmm. Just like the opposite. If you if you don't take it literally, you have to at times go beyond the testimony yeah. of what Scripture is to fill in the gaps. But the yeah. message behind it doesn't change. And so in this case here, why why this list of sons? Whether you take this literally or not, mm-hmm. this is still about to list a whole bunch of nations. We're not going to do it in chapter 10. No. But these nations that come actually form up the people groups who will be the main players in the rest of the biblical narrative. Yeah. So these these three sons will spread out and become the people of the Africans, the Asians, and the Europeans, basically, mm. who will be the people who the rest of the Bible will interact with. The Israelites will interact with those other nations. Mm-hmm. And so this is an origin story. Mm. Just like the Exodus story is an origin story for Israel, this is an origin story for humanity, for, for Israel as well, because these, these countries will be people, people groups like Canaan, mm. is Ham's son, Canaan mm-hmm. is the Canaanites, the, yeah. the, who are the people who they displace when they yeah. take the promised land. So when you're reading these, realise this is kind of setting up, this is the preamble, setting up the the, the map, if you like, of the nations that the people will interact with. Mm. And that's why it's here. It's interesting that you say that because it kind of leads me into the next question. Mm-hmm. So the, ne- the last part of this chapter talks about Noah being drunk and yep. cursing his son. I was hoping you were going to go there. Oh, well, uh, I mean, I think it's important to note because, look. It's a weird story, hey. It is a weird story. I think it's odd. Mm -hmm. Um, And if we are taking it literal, then okay, it's part of the story. But now that we've talked about this other option that the story isn't fully literal, could be not fully literal, why put it in there then? Okay. Um, So that's one thing. But he curses Ham Mm -hmm. and Ham was the descendant, bef- like sorry, ascendant before the Canaanites. Yep. And then obviously the story goes on and on. Yep. Is that why they talk about that? Is that why he specifically mentions that Noah cursed Ham because he was making well, fun yeah, of him? Cain- so what is going on in the story? That's the question. What is actually happening here? I'm glad you've written, you've said that because I did write that and I'm like, does that make, does that mean anything? Um, I've written Noah, drunk and cursing. Do you think Ham was making fun? It kind of seems a little harsh. Let me, like, let me tell Noah's you. Noah's the one that did the wrong thing and Noah got drunk and, got and laid drunk around naked. And then Ham, and then <laughs> in his tent, and then Ham does this stuff. Okay, let me give you three okay. possible interpretations. The literal three. interpretation. Wow, okay. Some interpreters suggest that Ham literally saw Noah undressed. This seems to be what it seems to be saying at first 
Well, it says, right? It specifically says that he's naked and walked in. So wait for it, okay? Yep. Some interpreters suggest that Ham literally saw Noah undressed. In this context, seeing a parent's nakedness could be considered a severe breach of respect and decency in ancient Near Eastern culture. Uh Ham's error, according to this view, was not only seeing his father in such a state, but then going and talking about it to his brothers rather than keeping it private. Uh, Okay, so that's literal interpretation number one. Okay. okay that's a literal Well, that makes sense. Like, it does make sense. Because it, it doesn't necessarily mean he was making fun of him and they've just left that part out. It just means that the fact that he went and said, I've just seen my dad naked. Yeah. And then they go no-no in. no-no anyway. And there was a no-no right. and then they go okay. in and they cover him. Okay. That's, that's okay. literal interpretation. Number one. Figurative interpretation. Other interpreters suggest that seeing the nakedness, quote, unquote, is a euphemism for a more grievous sexual offence. And many people believe this. Many scholars believe this. Many of the ancient Hebrew uh, Jewish writers believe this. Some propose that Ham might have somehow sexually violated Noah, while others suggest that Ham might have had an inappropriate relationship with Noah, with his mother while his father was drunk. And this is based on Leviticus 18, 7 and 8, that says, where it says that to have an ancestral relationship is, quote, uncovering the nakedness, unquote, of someone else. So in in the law in Leviticus, it says do not um, have intercourse with your father's wife or your mother or something like that because that would be uncovering the nakedness. The term is the same term used. So then they apply that and go maybe what has happened here is that he while his while his dad was passed out drunk, he has something done something with his mother. Something or. Well, yeah. or his father, but the the, the, the uncovering yeah. the nakedness thing seems to be an incestual, incestual relationship. Now, how this flows, mm. if this happens, this this does also make good reason for why the curse was so significant because he doesn't curse Ham, he curses Ham's son. So mm. what, what if Canaan had it been a result of an incestual relationship? Oh, wow. You see where this is going? So this is qu- quite complicated. Yeah, Ham, right. what if this? Gosh, right? I did not think you did this not was think going this was there. going there. Did you? Wow. No. Okay. Okay. Right. And then the third one is what they call the power play interpretation. Some scholars propose that Ham's act could have been an attempt to seize his father's authority, as mm. in some ancient cultures, seeing a father's nakedness was symbolic of assuming his position. This interpretation is speculative. So, if you if you had to, if I had to guess, based on I've heard Tim Mackey talk about this and different mm. people on the Bible Project and different different contexts, I actually think the the one that I'd probably lean towards, if you had to make me choose, is probably the second one, is that there was some kind of incestual relationship going on here, and that wow. that term fits because that then fits the rest of the because we're forming up a table of the nations. We're about to go into the, what they call the table of nations in Genesis ten, which is all these nations around about. and the Israelites are about, are going to take Canaan, the promise. They're going to take yeah. that land if. If they can discredit the Canaanites in such a way as to say in their narrative, oh, the Canaanites are a result of some kind of ancestral relationship between Ham and his mum, that gives them credence, quote Mm. unquote, to be able to go and justify um, the taking of the land of Canaan. Don't ask me if I agree. I don't think that's right, but I'm just Mm. saying I think that's part of what might be going on here. So this whole ancestral thing, I did – it did cross my mind before, but I wasn't going to go there yeah. because not about this part, but about the fact that it came, f- the whole earth was populated from oh, three yeah. brothers yeah. and their wives. Yeah. Clearly there had to be something yeah. going on there. Well, at that level you've got cousins. Mm. 
but still, but that's, still... that was quite an acceptable thing. Even yeah, in that day. right. Cousins, okay. cousins was totally acceptable in that day. Yeah, but you okay. see Abraham and Abraham at the time of Abraham. After this, they're they're relating to step brothers and sisters. And yeah, still right. Relate. Okay. Yeah, so okay, it's not that uncommon. Nieces and nephews and all that sort of stuff. Right. Fair enough. Okay. In fact, that was seen as well, for a long time. That not was fair enough for now, but <laughs> not fair enough for now. And not by the time wow, of Moses. I did not it, see this yeah. conversation going there at all. <laughs> well, okay. Um, <laughs> we just opened another one of Pandora's boxes. We're opening a few in this this episode. Definitely. Well, you thought that you knew the Noah story. It just got more. It just um, got more complex, didn't it? Interesting. Uh, anyway, so well, that's the end of chapter nine. So chapter nine. Um, we're going to go to chapter – we're going to skip chapter 10, yep. which is a great list of names, and we're going to go to chapter 11, which is the Tower of Babel. Yes. Okay, Genesis, Genesis, not Genesis, Genesis, Genesis 11, uh, the Tower of Babel or Babel, which, you know, tomato, tomato, tomato. yeah, yep. exactly, potato, potato. Um, does it really matter? No, I don't know. But I've always said Babel. I don't we know. have. I think Hebrew word would be Babel. Babel. Ooh, even more different. Okay, so... Apologies Other. to my Jewish friends if I got that wrong. But I think that's how it is. <laughs> um, Babylonian friends, Jewish friends. Yeah, He's that's a right. friend to all, Pastor yeah. Rowan. Yeah, I've got Babylonian friends today as well. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the Tower of Babel doesn't seem like, the, as we're reading this, it doesn't really seem that bad. Like, what's so bad about them building a tower? Sure. Where, where do we get this perspective that they were doing the wrong thing and why did God feel like he needed to confuse them? Like where, where, what are we missing okay. in this particular chapter? All right, so do you think that there's any clues in the text itself, Amanda? Should we read? Maybe. Maybe we'll find some clues Let's in read the text. it together. Let's mm-hmm. read it together. Okay. Uh, at one time all the people of the world spoke the same language and used the same words. As the people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia and settled there. They began saying to each other, let's make bricks and harden them with fire. In this region, bricks were used instead of stone and tar was used for mortar. Then they said, come, let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. I don't know. She's still shaking it. Sounds, sh- I don't know. It's sound, um, yeah, sorry for those sounds at home. Good. It sounds like, okay, it kind of sounds a little selfish and a little mm-hmm. money, power hungry, but mm-hmm. really the way it's worded here could be different in other translations, of course, but the way that it's worded here Doesn't it's like. Doesn't sound wicked and sinister? No, they just, they want to build a city for themselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. Sounds like, you know, Centre Point Tower. <laughs> yeah, it does, or the Burj Khalifa in yeah, the, like, yeah, exactly. What's so, so wrong about building towers? And it ca- and makes us famous. Okay. I'd like to read another version. Well, that's of that. exactly where I was going. Let's um, read another version because up, yeah. NLT is a little Yeah, because that that's the key word that I was gonna get you to 
to get to anyway. Yeah, right. Okay. There we go. So come let us build a city for ourselves. Okay, I'm reading Amplified now. Go for it. Come let us build a city for ourselves and a tower whose top will reach into the heavens. Mm-hmm. So this is where the idea that they're trying to reach up to God, actual yep. God yep, comes right. from. Yep. Doesn't really indicate that in NLT, which I think NLT is pretty good with being. A, missed it on this one. Yeah, though. I feel like maybe it's missed it there. For me, it did mm-hmm. into the heavens and let us make a famous name for ourselves, so that we will not be scattered into separate groups and be dispersed over the surface of the entire earth. Mm-hmm. Oh, as the Lord instructed. Mm-hmm. In brackets here in the amplified, it says as the Lord instructed. Again, NLT is missed that And did the that Lord part. instruct us? Did yeah, well, yes, he absolutely did. What did he say in the previous chapter to Noah? To nine, he reiterated the original Genesis one yeah, commandment: right. go out, spread out, fill the fill entire. The and so they just wanted to stay together and be all chummy yep. and be like, yep. we're rich and powerful in this yep. one spot. And the key there right. is make a name for ourselves. Yeah, okay, right. So okay, this is all about the glorification of humans. Of humans, yeah. This See, is humanism it makes more sense at first. Now. Yeah. This is a, we are most important here. Yeah. We're going to do what's right for us. Yeah. This is a city mm-hmm. doing, this is a group of people doing what a what what Eve and Adam did in as a microcosm. They mm-hmm. chose what was right for themselves mm. to make a name for themselves. Yeah. This is now a group of people getting together and doing the same thing. Let's be selfish. Because mm. what is this Bible project, guys, have got a current series they've been doing on the city, on cities and the concept of cities in the Bible. It's brilliant. So what is a city, first and foremost, in ancient times? A city is what? What defines a city? A collective of buildings and houses. And okay. So now go back to- Where lots of people live. Yeah. Okay. Now what, in ancient times, what do all cities have around them? Gates, fences, walls, walls, walls. walls. yeah, right? <laughs> gates. Why fences. do ancient cities have walls? <laughs> and moats <laughs> and moats, exactly. So More why do, and, and fortifications? <laughs> yeah, right? right. Why to keep people out? To keep people out, to protect them. To say mm. you can't come in here. We're safe in here. Protect against the bad guys, right? So well, cities were Joshua full. and uh, all of this. Yeah, you're going to yeah, see this, right? Right. So this. Tower of Babel is about the second city that's mentioned because Lamech builds a city in the same area. About, we didn't read that, chapter 4 maybe, Genesis 4, and he was wicked. He built a city. And then these guys are building a city and they're saying, we are going to protect ourselves against the world. We're going to make it make a name for ourselves. We're going to be great. Mm. We're going to be all the way up to heaven. We're going to be like, become like God. Same language that's used in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, I think, where it talks about the king – so, you know, metaphorically speaking about the devil and saying, mm. um, I will I will ascend to the heights, I will become great. And it's talking about this king of Tyre and um, it, metaphorically speaking about Satan saying, I will become like God on the mountain of the north. Mm. I will rise. It's the same language. Humans here, this is the beginning story of humans choosing en masse to do their own thing. Mm. And it's no coincidence that this place mm-hmm. is Babel. Yeah. Which is in the region of where? Babylonia. Which is what we know about. What do we know about Babylon later on in the Bible? We know lots of things. Tell me what we know about Babylon. In relation to this. Where they, else does Babylon appear in the Bible? Well, they take the Israelites captive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, um, yep. I, I okay. Don't know. We would give you a couple others before that. Abraham yeah. came out of Babylon. Oh. 
So in the, at the end of this chapter, we're going to see, right at the end of this chapter, we're going to see that in the midst of this project, God restarts his human project with Abraham's family and they come out of this place. So out of this Babylon, they come out of here. They ah, leave here and go into a promised land. Then their sin finds them back in Babylon again. Right. And then in the book of Revelation, there's a prophetic declaration yeah. saying, fallen is Babylon the great. So Babylon, this Tower of Babel, this place Babylon, becomes a metaphor that's used repeatedly throughout Scripture for what happens when humanity decides what's good for itself en masse. Mm. Babylon, Egypt, Rome are all the same. So when the new, when the book of Revelation is talking about Babylon, it's talking about the Roman Empire. Mm. So, But it's the same picture. Whenever a group of humans get together and go, we're going to protect ourselves, we're going to make a name for ourselves, we're going to make ourselves great, that's a Babylon. Mm. And this story is the beginning of that. Wow. The initial story of that. Oh, there you go. That's really good. So they're making it. What's so bad about it? They are trying to make a name for themselves. They don't care about anybody else. Instead of spreading out and mm. making the rest of the earth look like heaven, they're going, no, 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 we're going to do it our way. We're going to let certain people in here mm. and we're going we're gonna to not going to spread out. Mm-hmm. We're going to stay together. We're going to stay safe and we're going to make a name for ourselves. And the whole concept of building a tower or a ziggurat, which is what this was, what the ancient Babylonians' temples were called, they were ziggurats, mm-hmm. which is like a, a stepped a stepped pyramid, basically. Yeah. It probably didn't go very high. That's mm. not the point. This isn't. We're not talking about the Burj Khalifa that disappears 400 metres into the air. This is probably only 60, 70, 80 metres up. It's not, it's not huge. Mm. But compared to all the stone buildings around, this mm-hmm. was built with bricks and mortar, so it would enable them to do more. But it's still a picture of trying to get up to where God is, up to the heavens, trying to become like God, Mm. which is essentially what Adam and Eve said. Yeah, right. In fact, the serpent said that, didn't it? What did the serpent say to Eve? God knows if you eat from this tree, you will become like God. Mm. That's what's going on in this story. Well, there you go. That's good. Okay. So um, why have I gone back to here? Here we go. Come, let us build a city for ourselves. I'm still in the amplified version. I mm-hmm. think maybe I might stay here. Sure. Uh, now the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one unified people and they all have the same language. This is only the beginning of what they will do in re- rebellion against me. Yeah, and really now good. no evil thing they imagine they can do will be impossible for them. Come, let us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, go down and there confuse and mix up their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. Okay, let's pause. Oh, yeah, no, we'll finish. So the Lord scattered them abroad and there over the surface of the entire earth and they stopped building the city. Uh, Therefore, the name of the city was Babel, uh, because the the Lord confused the language of the entire earth. And from that place, the Lord scattered and dispersed them over the surface of all the earth. Um, Okay. So uh, this, I feel like this explains it a lot better in this version in rebellion against me. And like, he's gone, all right, I've got to do something. Let's talk about verse seven. That says, come, let us, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, go down and they're confused and mix up their language. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's clearly said son there. That's not in the original. Oh, 
that's that's the amplified um, right. making, that's the amplified making an assumption that us means, that us means Father, Father, Son, Son Holy Spirit, Spirit. Okay. because there was no doctrine that's of the Trinity. There was no doctrine of the Trinity at that point. Mm. So well, I like the amplified. I like some of the other stuff the amplified did. Mm-hmm. I think they're making an assumption about the text that certainly Moses writing this down would not have thought. He had no doctrine for Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Mm, so, no, that's right. So that's making an assumption. It's also it's the same assumption that God says in Genesis one twenty seven, uh, Genesis one, let us make man in our own image. Probably, mm. if you look in your Amplified, it probably says, let us Father, Son, and Spirit. I mm. remember talking about this with Jeff. Maybe it's coming up. It's either a previous podcast or one that's coming up, where you know he asked me, "Is that the Holy Spirit?" And I said, oh, "I always Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity." I said, "I always believed it was. I was taught that it was." I still think that fits, but I don't think that's the only fit for what it means when it says us anymore. Well, here it's um, in the NLT, it says let's go down, yeah, let's not go let down. us. No. It just says let's. That's just good English translation. Well, the others yeah. will say let us go new, down. It will be. Yeah. yeah. Let, and us is with a capital U yes. in the New so, King James Version. Yes. So the New King James has made an assumption mm-hmm. that the us is the Trinity or the mm-hmm. us is God. Okay. And that yep. fits definitely. I'm not saying it's not that. Mm. I I. I would. I still argue for that. I just don't think I can argue for that exclusively, mm-hmm. because the us could also be the heavenly court. It could be the other angels that yeah, are involved in the creation I, I process that too, as well. When I read Let's, well, yeah. Well, I've never thought it that way until more recent years when I've gone. Oh, okay. There's a Psalm, Psalm eighty something, which seems to talk about the heavenly court. Um, Jesus quotes that Psalm as well. That could be referring to the us not being mm. plural. Uh, not being Father, Son, and Spirit, but rather God in communication with his heavenly court of angels. That does not for a moment discredit the whole concept that God is um, that mm. God is Father, Son, and Spirit or Trinity. In mm-hmm. fact, linked up in the name Elohim is a plural. Mm-hmm. Elohim, God's name, is plural. So there is Elohim refers to all spiritual beings sometimes, and then other times it clearly refers to the person of the God of God. And it's still a plural name. It'd be like my name being Rowan's, not Rowan. Mm. Hey, Amanda's, how are you going? And you go, well, hang on a sec, how many of them are there? And that's the point. Me, yeah. myself and I. <laughs> Me, myself and I, yeah. <laughs> so, so Elohim, anytime you see I am on the end of any Hebrew word, it's plural. It's like mm. putting an S on the end of our words. Right. So God's name is, pl- is a plural noun. So there's definitely a plurality there. It's just not 100% certain. I wouldn't be comfortable to say that that's definitely what that's mm. saying. Certainly if I was translating the Bible, I wouldn't put that in there. Mm. Um even though it's a valid translation, it's I wouldn't be confident it's the only translation. Well, earlier we read that son of God, sons of God sons were of the ang- were the angelic beings. Yes. So it could still it could mean that. Yes, and Elohim means both. Mm. Elohim means God, the Creator God, the One God, mm-hmm. and it also means the angelic beings. It can it can actually have the same word means two different things. Mm. Um, spiritual beings. But that doesn't, you know, your question was let's go down and confuse them. So we sort of haven't dealt with the issue of we've dealt with, well, was it the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit or not? Mm. But you were also going to ask something else about them going down and confusing. You said, um, what was it you said that stuck out, struck out to you there about why were they confusing the language or something? No. No, can't I remember. I think that was it. She said the story kind of tells its own story. It, well, it, it kind of does. does. It yeah. does, yeah. It does. The point. Um, the point is this, that. Humans are incredibly ingenious people. Mm. We have the ability to, because we're created in the image of God with the ability to invent and create, Mm -hmm. we have the ability to invent and create for good or bad. Mm. And the the concern the Lord has here and why why the picture is that he's scattering 
it's not out of justice. Well, it is, but it's not judgment as in I must do this because I'm an egotistical God. No. And these guys are going to build it build up and threaten my power. Mm-hmm. That's what an egotistical God, that's what the capriciousness of the foreign gods would do. Oh, you guys are going to get, you're going to go away with too much. You're going to become like us and my power is going to be threatened. So before, before you get to the point where you have an ability to threaten my power, I'm going to scatter you. That's what the other gods would say. Mm-hmm. The God of the Bible isn't like that. So if God is scattering, it's actually because he's doing it for humans good. Mm. He's actually saying if they continue in this vein, mm-hmm. The end result of this will be back at Genesis chapter 6 again. Mm. The end result of this will be uh, human sin amped up on steroids because now a whole bunch of them have gotten together. They're not just scattering around. They're actually gotten together. And now the level of their warfare, the level of their treatment of others will Mm. be amplified. And now no evil thing they imagine Uh, they can do will be it would be, be impossible. impossible for them. So when God's saying this isn't mm. going to be good for them, this is like another flood narrative. I'm mm. going to flood them across the earth, scatter them for their own good. Mm. And this is the thing about cities in the Bible. This is what the Bible Project guys have been saying. Cities in themselves, they're nearly always painted in a bad light mm. in the Bible. They're not always. There are little the, – the heavenly Jerusalem is a city, but mm. its gates are always open, which kind of tells you that it's a different kind of city. It's not there for defensive purposes. Mm. But cities are when a group of people get together and form up in community, they form a city. Now that has the power to either amplify the good or amplify the evil, depending mm. on the values by which the people of that city live. Yeah, because right. Because if they get like together- Nineveh? Like Nineveh. Yeah. Wicked. Yeah, right. Absolutely wicked, right? Mm-hmm. Jerusalem in its good days, a few little pockets of that good time. Joseph, yeah. Egypt, uh, Tim Mackey was saying, yeah, the picture of the city or the nation of Egypt at the time when Joseph's leading it is probably a little pocket, but it doesn't mm-hmm. last very long. Joseph's leading it. Normally, Egypt's bad, Jerusalem's bad, Nineveh's bad, Assyria's bad, Babylon's bad. Normally, because cities are a microcosm or a macrocosm of human mm-hmm. behavior. You get a whole bunch of people together and if their values are bad, it's just going to amp the whole thing up on steroids. Right. And so cities generally are bad. Mm. That's what we're seeing here. So it's yeah. an act of God's grace and his justice mm. that he says this will not be good for you or for the people that you're going to end up um, killing mm. and destroying, so I'm going to spread you across the earth. Mm. Do you think even though we don't know really for sure that it's Father, Son, Holy Spirit, like obviously mm-hmm. the, like you said the Amplified has – put the Trinity there, made an assumption. Do you think that there is a significance in that? He's saying, I'm not just doing it myself. He's like, all right, come on, we are going to help you. Yes. Yeah? Yep. Yeah, I'm not saying it's a wrong translation. I I think it it makes perfect sense. I just think I just pulls pulls short of saying that it's the only valid translation. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't change the moral of the story once again. No, the moral again, of the story is yeah. whether it's Father, Son and Spirit or God and his heavenly court mm-hmm. or God's using, you know, working in relationship with his heavenly angels and saying this isn't going to be good for the humans. Mm. We're going to do something about this. Yeah. Um, it's almost, it's a little like that that old story of, hey, my tyre got flat but it turned out if I'd left work on time or would have had yes. an accident and been That's seriously right. injured or, or yeah, you know. all the stories were heard of people who would have been in the, the Twin Towers and 9-11 but yeah, yeah the, weren't, yeah. Because of, you know. All random, kinds of random all, things. Yeah, yeah. so, um, you know, sometimes yeah. 
weird things happen and God allows things yeah. ha- to happen. This but is, once again, another side. We're talking about God's justice. Even though this seems like God's justice, it's, it is God's justice. Mm-hmm. But God's justice is actually by, by bringing a judgment mm-hmm. upon and spreading these people out, we can't underestimate how much justice he's shown to to other people's future generations who would have come under the mm-hmm. result of this wicked group of people mm-hmm. who left to their own devices would have just made the world look even worse all over again. Mm. So that's what the picture is here. These early chapters are quite triggering because they are highlighting the first 3 to 11, chapters 3 to 11 of Genesis are highlighting the result time and time again of what happens when humans are left to ourselves. Mm. Um, I kind of look at this story and think it's pretty amazing that that's how languages or like different languages came about. <laughs> came about. But I also feel like this of any story, if any story is fictional or you a fable, this could be a fictional one. This could be. Right, okay. It kind of sounds what? like, um, you know, Oh. A bit like, say, an indigenous Dreamtime story that says that, yeah, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, yeah a little you bit know, like that. this is how the sun became, you know, like this yep. is how languages came about yep. and how we all scattered around the earth. And, you know, it could even be like the story of how the continents separated. He said he scattered yes, them, which, right? That's like, right. Yep. Well, that's who what, knows? that's what, interestingly enough, he's saying it's figurative. It's actually the literal story. The literalists, the creationists, use this story to illustrate why they believe this that is when everything, everything is. scattered. Yeah, they actually right. take it very literally. Yeah, and they say because oh, you know how you know because the evolutionary theory says that our you know the the continents drifted over eons yeah. of time. Yeah, whereas because they of they sh- pick this story. Yeah, exactly. Blah, the, blah, blah. the plates. The creationists pick this story and say at this time in the years of Peleg, because it refers to a guy called Peleg, that the the earth was divided and they say this is when God did massive continental drift. Bang, the whole the whole planet just readjusted at this time. So that's where they interpret this in, those that take it, the creation scientists, now, the literal. that is an Avengers sequel. That's an Avengers sequel, you, isn't right? it? The entire like, planet just like massive earthquakes and the I entire just, planet going all over the place. So, I really do feel like this is <laughs> this well, this topic and these chapters are exciting okay. and we could make it into a really you cool could. movie without Russell Crowe, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Russell. So what you've just said there should tell us something. You know, you've just, you, by your own admission, gone, oh, look, if any story's going to trouble to think about it literally. Yeah. But, but once again, I mean, you've given yourself your own permission to go, maybe the story doesn't need this. Mm. See, the story does not need this to be literal mm-hmm. for it to tell the story it's telling. Because I kind of be- I do believe it. Yeah, uh, but but what your point is, your point's yeah. a valid one. Yeah, I'm just I'm just trying to bait you and let you go. Let you go whether you believe it or not. Don't, yeah, that's okay. But yeah. the moral behind the story is the epitome of human sin. Yeah, and the res- once again a reiteration. Chapters three to eleven show what humans do mm. when they're left to themselves. Because it's about to pivot. The yes. entire Bible is mm. literally about to pivot. We're not going to do it today. No. Genesis twelve. Yeah. It actually begins with the story of Abraham. It's mm-hmm. like this is as bad as it gets. Well, Abraham, it's actually, actually the end of he's, this. He's in the end of this, yeah. yes. But then it actually, Genesis 12, 1, says mm-hmm. God said to Abraham, uh, the Lord said, leave your country and your relatives and go to the land I will show you and I'll make you a great nation and you'll be blessed. Mm. So, yes, it introduces Abraham at the end of this chapter, mm-hmm. but that is like a pivot upon which the entire Bible story 
pangs. Mm-hmm. We are right at the worst of humanity right here. Mm-hmm. That's why this is triggering stuff. Genesis 3 to 11 is messy. It is really messy. Because it's it shows what humans do when we live, when we do it our way. No wonder Sunday school teachers made it really pretty. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they built a nice tower. Made like nice little nice wooden toys little out wooden of boats with and giraffe <laughs> sticks sticking their heads out and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> because cannot, in reality it's In reality not this like is that. anything but Sunday school yeah. stories. Yeah. That's, um, this is not at all, is no. it? It's pretty no. full on. Yeah. Um, so in if that's the case, before we move on to Luke, mm-hmm. let's ask that same question that I asked Good. at the beginning and we'll ask it again at the end. These are two very different pictures. How can we learn about how God who is just, sorry, our God who is just from these passages? Let's sum it up see if I can sum up really mm. succinctly what I've just said. This shows the justice of God because the justice of God demands that he puts right the wrongs of the world. Mm. All these chapters show us that God's justice will often um, come across as judgment. Mm-hmm. It will come across as him withdrawing his hand mm-hmm. and allowing the flood of human destruction. Mm. But it's his grace coupled with his justice that Stop short of completely obliterating. There's always a redemptive moment in this. Mm. Left to yourselves, you're going to flood. He floods the earth, but he keeps a Noah and he starts again. He gets to Babel and they've messed it up, scatters them again, but he keeps an Abraham yeah. and he starts again. That's good. So it's always this redemptive plan, but it's trying to showcase God's grace. Mm-hmm. His justice is his grace coupled with the fact that he will not let humans continue. Mm-hmm indefinitely down their own path because they will harm themselves and they will harm the image of God in others. Mm. And we'll be talking about this in our, in actually in our next week's episode, the, the coming out next week's podcast coming out, Gene and I'll be talking about sin. And I have come to this realization that the best definition I can find for sin is whenever I harm the image, whenever I harm you, I'm sinning against God because I'm sinning against the image of God that is in you. So sin is actually something I do that brings harm to another created being because I harm the image of God in you. And Whoa. when I start to lay that... Mic drop right I know, there. it's been a real huge revelation to me. And I, But as I start to lay that across the scriptures, I realize time and time again, that's what God's always on about. He's in these stories. It's not, it's, it's about the fact, because God's not insecure. God's not worried about somehow that we're going to steal his thunder. It's none of that. He, he grieves because I he do not respect. He created us in his image. And I harm the image of God in you when I harm you. And so and God's all about calling his humans to actually honor and put others before themselves, lift up, the, lift up others, because that is what God has done and that's what he expects us to do. So it's, cha- it's totally revolutionized. And what that gets away from is this whole thing we start talking about sin and we just go, oh, this list of sins that everyone commits. And we don't put ourselves on that list because we're all good at creating sin lists that don't, aren't us. The Bible's not dealing with sin lists. There are lists of sins, but the overarching thing of sin is I sin when I fail to recognize and honor the image of God in another human being. Whoa. That is sin to me. Um, I know you can't see, but I'm actually in <laughs> tears. Um, wow. I, I've never heard it worded like that no, before. It's, it's been a bit, and, many, many hours of study and prayer and trying to get to the bottom of what is this all about and it's commentaries and I honestly it's it's made me reassess conversations, how I go about my day, yeah. my life, 
Like all <laughs> just while you were talking, <laughs> it's like my it, life flashed like before my eyes too. just then. Because yeah. how how quickly we judge others for their sin, and we look down, and we actually fail to realize we're sinning against people when we're passing judgment on them for their quote quote unquote sin. God's dealing with us. Where are we yeah. failing to recognize the image of God in our conversations with other people? Which is back to tr- Tree of Eden language. Where are we taking what's for ourselves? Where are we defining? Oh, no, I'll do it my way, thanks. I'll take what's best for me. I know. I'll be like God. And whenever we do that, So many of the stories others. are like that, aren't they? Like even all the way to Judas, he takes yep. what's what belongs mm-hmm. to him. Yep. It's all about themselves. Yep. This language, I don't know, we're off on a track tangent We here, are. But, and, and you'll hear you'll way hear more about week. this next Jenny's week. got her own thoughts I've, I've heard too. But I'm excited the language about this. Is, <laughs> the language is Eve saw yeah. that was good. Mm-hmm. She wanted it, so she took it. See, want, take. That language appears time and time again. You'll see it in Cain. You'll see it in David. David saw Bathsheba. He wanted her. He took her. You'll see this see, want, take language over and over and over. Okay, so if we want to do the opposite of that, am I jumping into next week's podcast by asking this question? If we want to do the opposite of that, what is that? I think the opposite of that is to actually do the opposite, see the value in someone else. I might want something for myself, but give up what I want and actually give rather than take. It's going, recognizing, okay, I'd like this, but I'm choosing not to have this. I'm choosing to prefer you over me, the image of God in you over me, and I'm going I'm to give you what I want. Wow. And, Je- and Jesus says that. You'll find your life when you give up your life. It's, it's all through, it's the upside-down gospel. It's a, whenever I fail to take, when I, whenever I choose to give to someone else what I want for myself, that is the reverse of sin. Mm. Wow. <sighs> this is full on. So that's, the, that's, the, that's why God so... Focused mm. on justice. That was your question, the justice yes. of God. It's because the, the love of God demands that he judge and bring justice to those who are treated unfairly, and that's mm. the narrative of the Bible. We're going to see that. We're going to go to Luke now, and we're going to see that in, yeah. in the Gospel of Luke. Let's, Let's move, go there. Let's go to Luke. Okay, New Testament portion of our podcast. Uh, this week we are reading, if you haven't already read it, Luke 14, 15, 16, 17 and 20. Um, I'm really excited about it, but following on from that last part, I feel a little like, Brip whoa, <laughs> like, wow, everything seems so... <laughs> Boring <laughs> compared to well, that mic drop moment. Yeah. No, I'm no, kidding. Well, in this, you're going to see, you actually going to see the outplaying of what I just said yeah. because Jesus no, is going right. to constantly show up mm-hmm. when the, the Pharisees for sinning, for yeah. choosing for themselves at the expense of others mm-hmm. or choosing what's good for them at the expense of others. You're going to see this time and time again and suddenly you're going to go, oh, I see. That's what the justice of God's all about. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. So um, I've written here, let's read verse 1 to 6. Mm -hmm. Come on, Leah, let's read it. There's never anything wrong with reading the Word of God. One Sabbath day, Jesus went to eat dinner in the home of a leader of the Pharisees and the people were watching him closely. There was a man there whose arms and legs were swollen. Jesus asked the Pharisees, 
and experts in the religious law. Is it permitted in the law to heal people on the Sabbath or not? And they refused to answer. Jesus touched the sick man and healed him and sent him away. Then he turned to them and said, which of you doesn't work on the Sabbath? If your son or your cow falls into a pit, don't you rush to get him out? But again, they could not answer. Okay. So first up, Jesus heals on the Sabbath Mm -hmm. right in front of the Pharisees. Like it's not, it's clearly not allowed, but he's just, he's not even, it seems like he's not even trying to hide it. Is he picking a fight or or is he, like it kind of seems a little bit like, a little bit cheeky really, doesn't it? I like the way they did on the chosen when he, when he healed, um, when he, healed the guy on the Sabbath in the pool of Bethesda and he says, mm. oh, I'll come to stir the water or pick a fight or something. Yeah. yeah. They finished one of the seasons with that. But that's often the case because Jesus, see, it, it wasn't illegal. It, Jesus wasn't a lawbreaker here. Yeah. They thought he was breaking the law. But, but he wasn't actually but he wasn't breaking, breaking the, the law. law. Because the law, he says, the law permits you to do good on the Sabbath. Mm. But they had become hung up on rules and regulations as if the keeping of those rules made them feel um, right with God and mm. better than everybody else. That's yeah. what Jesus is coming. He's picking a fight. He's going, he's trying to get them to see the duplicitness of their ways. Mm. You guys think you're so holy. Well, you're having a go at me, but hey, if your son falls into a pit, you're going to know you're going to be there in a heartbeat to pull him out. You're not going to go, oh, sorry, son, you'll have to wait till Sunday because it's Sabbath today. I know you probably sink overnight, but too bad. Jesus mm. knows that's just a ridiculous statement. So is he picking a fight? I think he is being pretty pretty antagonistic towards the Pharisees because they, yeah, they they need it, yeah, they need it, they they can't get out of the they're um, they're stuck in their ways mm. and they need a bit of a shake up call. He's turning the table, so to speak. Right? Yeah, he is. Like, so is it permitted in the law to heal people on the Sabbath day or or not? He's not only being cheeky, but he's also challenging them. Mm. He's like, come on, answer mm. me mm. Um, because it need, everyone needs it. Everyone yep. needs to hear this, right? Yes. Yeah, exactly. But and, and they can't answer they, because the law does not make any reference to it. Mm. All their rules and regulations that they've built upon the law yeah. say you can and can't do certain things, but the law itself doesn't actually doesn't say actually, that. In fact, the law implies that you should do good whenever you can. Yeah, well... The, it made me think of the story where of when you went to Israel and you were in the elevator and yeah, all the buttons pushing all the buttons on the elevator. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah, they push. They have a Sabbath elevator button um, which stops on every floor so that no one has to push a button. Um, but they cle- the clever the clever Jews just jump in the Gentile elevator and ask you to push the button for them, <laughs> and they don't have to go and wait on every floor then. Yeah. Which I I feel like that's. Worse, <laughs> to be honest. It's just, it's it, silly, isn't it? It's like, It's hey, like, well, Jesus calls it elsewhere. He like says, you strain a gnat and, <laughs> he says, you strain a gnat and, and swallow a camel. You spend mm. all this time trying to pull apart the legs on a tiny little bug. Meanwhile, you're eating a whole camel. You know, you, you've just swallowed the whole thing, hook, line and sinker, and don't even realise the stupidity of your rulemaking. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, with his response, before we move on to the next bit, it says, which of you doesn't work on the Sabbath? If your son or your cow falls into a pit, don't don't you rush to get them out? Again, they couldn't answer. There's this little, one of the little speech bubbles in here and it says, some manuscripts read donkey. 
<laughs> I just laughed at that and went, there's a big difference between, between a, a son, son and, and a donkey. donkey. Like if I was that, I did start thinking about your guy that couldn't even press an elevator right. button, right? Yes. Uh, sorry, all of the um, yeah, yeah. Jewish people in Israel. And I thought, look, if my donkey fell in and I was really that devout, I wouldn't go after my donkey. But, yeah, if it was my son. son. Yeah, sure. <laughs> sure. And well, I just he does thought say your cow as well. So whether it's his, he says son or cow or whether it's his son or cow or donkey or cow, the implication is yeah. you're going to care for your livestock. Yeah, okay, I suppose. You I know? suppose that's their um, that's their jobs, right? That's their livelihoods. That's their livelihoods. Yeah, yeah, they need they need their donkeys. Not to mention the fact they should care for animals. That's part of their Genesis mandate is yeah. to care for animals. Yeah, and I suppose a Can't donkey an could be suffering. their transportation yeah. then, right? That's right. So yeah. it's like if my car fell into if a pit, car, I would definitely go get after it. You wouldn't go, oh, I'll wait till Monday. Oh, well, you know, I yeah. might just yeah. call the insurance company. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah. still that's doing something, right? Yeah. Anyway, I suppose it's not really – there's no he real significance them. to it though. No, but he has stumped The point is he's – Challenging them, the tone of this is cheekiness, but also I know my limits yes. here. I'm just going to say this and just be like, "Yeah, yeah, thanks very much." He's still he he's not very. They're not very happy with him. No. Um, after this, no. it's not like they've just gone. Oh well, Jesus is right. We're yeah. going to follow along now. No. No. Which I'm sure I reckon some of them will. I mean, they talk well, about. Well, they do. There were numbers of Pharisees did follow Jesus. Yeah. And I said this in a previous podcast. Out of all the main people groups, um, the, sorry, the main Jewish sects at the time, that Jesus was closest to the Pharisees himself. Like mm. he, he, their 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 belief structure and behaviour was actually closest. He was closest to them mm. of all of them. There were the there were the Essenes that lived in the mm-hmm. desert and the Dead Sea. In the Dead Sea, there were the Zealots who were Roman guys that were trying to basically terrorists that were trying to keep the Romans out. They were the Pharisees, the Sadducees. Um, mm. And the Sadducees were the rich ruling elect and the Pharisees were the, they weren't they weren't in the aristocracy, but they were super, super zealous about living right. And that's where Jesus was closest to. And yet he still constantly had to show them that they were still lovers of themselves and lovers of power and lovers of money, mm. lovers of prestige and and using up people, not, not honouring the image of God in other people. Mm. That's what these stories we're going to say, as I said, we're all about. Yeah. Okay. Um, So verse 17 to 14, uh, Jesus is teaching about humility. 17 to what? 14. How do you go from 17 to 14? Oh, sorry. 7 to 14. 7 to 14. (laughs) (laughs) You lost me there. Oh, my goodness. Sorry. 7 to 14. 14. Now I'm with you. Sorry. I apologize. Jesus teaches about about humility. humility. Yeah. This is the whole, you know, sitting and trying to take the pride of place at a banquet. Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, first of all, I guess my question is, do you have anything to say about this? I think the story speaks for itself. But mm. in a nutshell, if you're not listening to this, the story is this. He's trying to rebuke the Pharisees for always. It starts with, a lot of the parables do this. They start, it starts with an explanation of what Jesus is trying to mm. fix. Not all of them, but many of them do. When Jesus noticed that all who had come to the dinner were trying to sit at the seats of honour, at the head of the table, he gave them this advice. Then he tells a parable. Mm. Basically yeah. says, Hey, if you go to the top of the table, what if there's someone more important than you? You're going to get mm. sent down. And then you're going to look like you're all ashamed and look like an idiot. But if you take the lowest place at the table and then you'll get elevated, you'll get promoted. And then you look like, oh, wow, well, he's a humble guy. So Jesus is using that illustration to say, ultimately, quit trying to be a people who are always trying to get all the prestige and power for themselves. Mm-hmm. To be a kingdom person is actually to take the lowest place, is to honour the image of God in other people, to take the lowest spot at the table and say, you're worth more than I am. 
Mm. Once again, it's the reverse of sin. Mm. That, that's my explanation of what yeah. Jesus is saying. It's good. That's good. And that's really all there is to say about that. Yeah, it's a great little story. He tells it for himself. Um, the next part of his story, he turns around and talks to the host um, and it seems like he's really saying feed the hungry, right? Yes. Which yes. really just kind of marries together with yep. what you've just said. Yep. Um, Don't just invite the ones who can bless you back. Go find mm. the poor. Go find the needy. Find those that are the underdogs, yeah. the, 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 the ones who are less and bring them in. Mm. Yep, that's right. So he's correcting their misunderstanding of what holiness was. Their holiness required, requ- their sense of holiness required that they didn't go near those people because they would be corrupted by them. Mm. Somehow their weakness would get on them and make them unholy or unclean. And Jesus is trying to reverse that and say, no, a clean person will actually go. Yeah. The cleanest thing you can do is go and share what you have with others, honor the image of God in others. Um, So basically it's a metaphor to be generous, right? Mm, mm, Yep. Um, Yep. Yeah. That's it. Uh, So moving through this chapter, verse 15 224. Um, got that one right. Mm-hmm. Got that <laughs> no one right numbers. Yeah. How clever am I? Um, parable of the great feast. Um, so what would you say that this really means? Like let's un let's unpack this. Do you think they would have been confused? I think they would have been confused because the thought of inviting underdogs and outsiders into uh, a feast or a kingdom uh, or a party mm. was unheard of. Mm. So Jesus is turning the tables once again on yeah. their belief and saying what you need to do is actually he's telling the parable of the Lord's heart. The Lord's heart is for everybody. Mm. He actually the Lord would say go out and find anyone you can mm. and bring them in. Yeah. That's the parable. You should we should be on the lookout for the least of these. Mm. So we're not we're not saying so Jesus isn't saying right now to us in our time to go and find, you know, someone that could be potentially dangerous and invite them okay. into your home. Okay, I see where you're going. There, he's... No, yeah. no, he's not. Um, he's not saying be foolish in that way or, or overlook wrongdoing because that would be against the justice of God too. Mm. He's just trying to realign their thinking. Yeah. Because their thinking is elitist. Mm-hmm. It's power-driven. Is prestige driven. Yeah. And he's trying to say, you guys have got it upside down. The least of you, the mm-hmm. greatest of you will be the least. Mm-hmm. So he's trying to reiterate or, or re- reverse their mm-hmm. thinking. That's all this story's about. Yeah. Um, it doesn't mean you have to bring in a mass murderer into your home and care for them. That's not, that's <laughs> not what it's saying. I mean, you've got to use wisdom here. But, but these people wouldn't even think of just going to anybody who was below their station. Yeah, right. And Jesus is saying, no, look out for the ones who are the least. Look out for the vulnerable. Mm. If anything, if we talk about it, it's the four that are referred to time again in the Old Testament, the poor, the widow, the foreigner, and the orphan. Mm -hmm. They come up over and over again from the book of Exodus right through all the prophets, the poor, the widow, the foreigner, and the orphan. They can all be summed up in one word, vulnerable. Mm. Least of these three words. Mm -hmm. That's who Jesus is about. Mm. Look for the vulnerable. Yeah. Care for those who cannot care for themselves. That's mm. the point here. It's funny. I've written LCV here. <laughs> yep. I didn't write anything else. I yep. just wrote LCV. Because that I, should be our heart. And I think, yeah, this story um, kind of helps us yep. to see why. Yep. Why we do what we do. Why we do what we do yep. and Great. why we really feel that LCV, uh, local community ventures for those who 
don't know. I don't that's, know if... Yeah, that, not everyone, yeah, who, not not everyone, everyone who listens to this, might know. People listening from all over the place. But this to, is our charity arm of our church. Yes, yeah. it's the charity arm of um, our three churches, yep. uh, Camden, Picton and Thrall, um, local community ventures. Um, and, yeah, it is a, la- a large part of what you were just saying really kind of sums mm. up the mission statement, Carefully right? Carefully vulnerable. Yep, that's right. Um, so, yeah, that's... Yep. So you can see this is a justice story. These stories mm. are all justice stories here. This is God's justice demands that those who are lift, who are downtrodden mm. get lifted up. So the world's justice would say that that the rich become richer because they've worked hard to get there and they yep. should just they should be surround themselves with rich and powerful people. But God's justice is no, I don't want the downtrodden and yep. the poor and the needy and the sick to be left behind and the rich get richer. Yep. Like, you know, the old saying, the That's rich get right. richer and, and the, the poor, poor get, get poorer. poorer. That's the opposite of what God expects because we are to make all of earth look like mm. heaven. So um, he wants the opposite. The, the justice Bible college, Bible project video is really good on this because it talks about two types, types of justice. So we often think get royalties of, for Bible. Projects. I should, shouldn't yeah. I? Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Keep going. Yeah. They, <laughs> the, there's two kinds of justice and even now we're getting better with the, but, you know, go back go back to my generation when I was about 30 years and you ask people what justice yeah. is, they would only think of one kind of justice, retributive justice. In other words, yeah. getting locked up for doing the wrong thing, right? Mm. There's another kind of justice, which a younger generation are starting mm. to get a hold of, which is restorative justice, mm-hmm. which is to lift up and restore back mm. those that have lost mm-hmm. things or been treated unjustly. Yeah, The Bible actually has more to say about that one than the other. Mm. So restorative justice is what we're about here. And mm. um, that means Christians should be on the lookout for where can we lift up those who whose systems, who the who the world systems have treated unfairly. Mm. Where they're they're a product, they're vulnerable because of either they've been treated unfairly or the system is against them. It might be a different ethnicity, a different people group, it might be a different you know, different gender. It could be mm. whatever that is, wherever those the system is against those people and they've been treated unfairly. Mm-hmm. It's on us to restore justice to them because mm. the Father is into that. Um, I just Googled the dictionary definition of justice. Yep. And they've got, obviously, they've got a Multiple judge or magistrate. Means. They've got the administration of law um, or authority in maintaining this, which kind of makes you think that that, that makes sense in your that's, that's the, first, the legal framework. Yeah, that's the first thing that you would think of when because you, you think I want justice, yes. right? And you think the that's law, the, the authority yep. in maintaining this. But um, the f- number one is actually just behaviour or treatment, a concern for justice, peace, and genuine respect for people. There you go. And I thought that that really that's just kind really of fits well in with what we've talked about. That's it. That's and restorative it's number one, justice. Number, number one. one in the Oxford Dictionary. Love it. Um, it's actually concern for the value, and the yeah. dignity of other human beings. Justice yeah. demands that I treat others with the respect because they have the image of God imprinted into them. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, regardless of their station, regardless of, of you know, what might be for or against them. Yeah. And that's what Jesus is constantly talking to these Pharisees about in these chapters. At least three quarters of these chapters are about that. Mm. Um, I really don't want to skip over this next part, uh, the cost of being a disciple. Mm-hmm. I think we See should. See if we can do it really quickly. Yeah, let's let's try and I do promise. it really quickly because I feel like this is question? an important thing. Um, 
my it seems strange that he would try to turn them away and tell them to hate their family. Like, it, oh yeah, if okay. you read it, it actually says, it says you hate, hate unless you hate them. your family and love me. Yeah. How can we look? How can our listeners look deeper here? Yep. And what does this mean for us as yep. disciples today? Does and does it? Does it? <laughs> so I think back in its context, he's yep. rebuking the Pharisees. Yeah. For being self-focused, mm-hmm. preferring themselves, their family, their tribe, their their own comfort mm-hmm. over other people. Mm-hmm. So when Jesus says, "If you don't hate your family more than me," what he's not he's not saying hate your family. He's using um, metaphorical extreme language mm. to illustrate a point. See, all these Pharisees were all about them and their own tribe. Yeah. They were going, I'm going to take what's right for me and my family and I'm going to look after myself at the expense of everybody else. Mm. And Jesus is saying, if you're really for me, if you're going to be a disciple, compared to you need to be thinking about other people, not mm. just about your own family. Mm. So he expands the language up to show them that's what he's doing. It's, yeah. it's, it's The story is actually no different mm. to the rest of them. Yeah. he's it, Luke has written this to illustrate exactly the same point. Who mm. are you going to prefer? Others or yourself, your mm-hmm. own comfort or honouring the image of God in other people. Mm, it's good. That's where it's going. Cool. Let's move All on right. to Luke 15. 15. Okay, Luke 15. Um, Parable of the Losts. Yeah, lost sheep, prodigal son. Um, it's all in here. Lost sheep, lost coin, lost prodigal, yes. lost son, basically. Yeah. Yep. So I was going to skim over or skip this part because it's pretty well known. But I don't. The Holy Spirit, when I was reading it, just said, "Stop! Someone needs this. Needs this mm-hmm. reminder." So let's just quickly read it before we move on. Um. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbours saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Um, The lost coin is very similar. Uh, The woman has loses one silver coin and she finds it and she's all excited. Um, and then the parable of the lost son, uh, most people know this. Even I feel like even non-Christians uh, or people who are Well, the who term prodigal has probably come across as either, you know, yeah. the, the one who's wandered. Yeah. Uh, yeah it, it, it's a bit of a, um, I guess, a, a, a phrase or a saying that a lot of people say, you know, the prodigal yep. son has returned. Yep, that's right. Um, so, it, you know, most people would know the story Basically, but I just I really wanted to not skip over this because someone does need this reminder yep. and that you are loved and yep. God's just Come on. God's justice is that He He would drop everything yep. for you and you alone. You are special. Yep. You are Come made on, in His it. image. You are beautiful and wonderful, wonderfully made, and you are loved so much that. He would run after you. So, um, yeah, I just 
I re- really, there isn't much I wanted to say about this particular chapter because they they are those three mm. parables. Or, or, sorry, all deliberately or linked together. Yes, yep. all meaning yep. very much the same yep, thing, that's right? that's right. It's three different. Andy Stanley says it really well. He says he cho- Jesus chooses sheep because mm-hmm. a lot of the um, agricultural people would have understood the importance of sheep. Yeah, yeah. He chooses coins because the rich would have understood the importance yep. of coins and then he chooses the the, um, the son, the son because to they all understand together, the family. Understand the, that's yeah, right. So he does right? that really well. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because you make the point and it's absolutely right. This shows the father's justice and his heart for the vulnerable. Yeah. So I won't say but, I'll say and, because that is that is often how this is preached, you know, and rightly so. The, the parable of the lost son and so on can be preached to say no matter where you are, mm. no matter how lost you feel, mm-hmm. you know, there's a space for you in the father's house. That's absolutely true. Mm-hmm. Back to verse 1 and 2, it says, Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such simple people and even eating with him. So what I want to posit here is that Luke is actually, while he's making those other points on the side, his primary purpose here is to tell a story to show that Jesus is, once again, refuting the Pharisees for Mm. the wrong attitude. Mm -hmm. So these parables are not so much written for the lost person, Although yeah. that's there, as they are written to show the self-righteous ones the error of their ways. Mm, you good. guys should be looking for the sheep. You guys should be looking for the coin. You guys should be looking for the lost son. Mm. But all the while, he sums it up with, "You're the big brother. Yeah, you're the one who thinks I've got a right to everything, and you're just be, you're just stuck at home caring about yourself." You're not caring about any of these mm. other people. We'll talk about this, that, what you're saying, a little more when we talk about Luke 16 because it re- he really he, he goes hits it even home. harder. He yep. goes in even harder. So it's like soft and nice really here. It, it, it is. And that's why I've so chosen this justice because this yeah. is God's – these stories have been woven together in 14, 15, 16 hereabouts so passionately by Luke to try to allow Jesus to tell the story of his heart was vulnerable. It really was revolutionary, though, oh, yeah. wasn't it? Well, it certainly was it's, to the Pharisees. It's like shifting a culture's mindset yep. because it's not just the Pharisees or the religious leaders that are that are feeling like this. The people, this is all they know. That's right? all they've ever known is That's the class a, system. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So. He's trying to upend Jesus the kingdom values. Jesus had a pretty big job on his he hands, sure right? He's the master at showing it, <laughs> demonstrating it. And then using these kind of stories to teach them. Mm. So, yeah, these three stories go together to illustrate that point. I, I think I look at some of the some of the pieces in these stories. that he, Like he uses a lot of parables in this kind of section of Luke. And I think why did he even put that in there? I think one of my questions from a pre, the previous chapter would have been something like that. Why, why did he even say that? But really he was, when you think about it from like, what did you say before? Zooming back. Zooming up 30,000 foot view. Yeah, and looking yeah. back down, yeah. it's like, well, actually he really what he was shifting a culture. Yes. He was generating like a revolution. Yep. So he had to be detailed. He had to he had to really make sure that this story illustrates the illustrated. point that he's wanting. That his point Just that care he's wanting. For the vulnerable honor. Yep others before yourself. Absolutely, Amanda. That's good. All right, we're going to see where 16 yep. goes. Let's see where 16 goes.
Okay, Luke 16, really quick follow-on from Luke 15 because it's re- it's the same Ties time. Together. It's yep. the same time, right? There's no space in between. It's pretty much a flow-on effect, I, isn't definitely, it? Definitely, yeah. It kind of yep. gives that impression anyway. It does. It's written with that in, in mind, yep, um, whether that actually happened that way, but that's the way Luke has written it. Yeah, yep. so I think – when I first read the parable of the shrewd manager, I kind of went, what? Oh, this is Such one of those wait what stories because <laughs> at first read you think Jesus is saying it's a good thing to be dishonest. Yeah, it's yeah. really odd. Yeah. And, yeah, the way he explains it, like what I was saying before about these little details, I'm like, what is happening here? <laughs> um, but when you pair it with what you just said um, in Luke 15, oh, that's closed, it makes more sense, right? Yeah. Um, so it's pretty self-explanatory though. It's about, you know, it is what it is. It's about this shrewd It's manager. about a manager who's and, about to be fired and basically. Yeah. Says, and Jesus really explains out. his meaning. He does. He does. But then I've written 16 to 18 confuses me. So until John the Baptist, the law of Moses and the messages of the prophets were your guide. But now the good news of the kingdom of God is preached and everyone is eager to get in. Mm-hmm. or everyone is urged to enter in, mm-hmm. um, and which I love that. <laughs> um, but that doesn't mean that the law has lost its force. Is it easier for heaven and earth to disappear than for the smallest point of God's law to be overturned? For example, a man who divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery, and anyone who marries a woman divorced from a husband commits adultery. And then it just ends there. And, and they it, love to pull that scripture, verse 18, mm, out of context and try and make it say something that it's not saying. Okay. So um, what connection does that have with what he's just said? So Jesus is using the example of a man divorcing his wife as a um, as an example of the point he's trying to make mm-hmm. about the intention of the law. Mm-hmm. the intention of the law. People take that scripture and go, see, if anyone divorces or, uh, divorces someone, they commit adultery or they cause the woman to commit adultery. Mm-hmm. This, pitch, this scripture is used in other contexts. Jesus used this in other contexts in Luke's gospel as well, mm-hmm. um, as well as in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. Mm-hmm. The illustration of the point uh, elsewhere, I think it might be chapter 20. I oh, know, chapter 20, where you're going there. But mm-hmm. el- elsewhere it says... Um, it says something to the effect of the the, the the religious people try to come and trick him and say, in the law, Moses said that we could give a, a man could give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away. What do you say? Because the Mosaic law allowed for divorce. Mm. And Jesus says, well, it was because your hearts were hard, but that wasn't the intention from the beginning. The intention from the beginning was that a man would leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two would become one flesh. So the law was written to is the, all the laws are written to point to a value about God. Mm-hmm. When they were reading this literally and purely at a, a literal level and pulling it out of its context, you can make it say whatever you want. I've seen this this used horribly. Um, and I don't – I think Jesus' point is he his intention in an ideal world is that we would all live such selfless lives that divorce would not be necessary. Okay, that, no, no, you've been through a journey of divorce. So it can be quite triggering to hear this because it can seem like um, it's saying, well, you know, at face value, a divorce person is an adulterer and so on. Mm-hmm. But if we put it back in its context, Moses was allowing people because of their hard heart to divorce one another, but that wasn't God's intention. But what had happened is that 
Jesus was saying, when a man divorces his wife and sends her away, how does he cause her to commit adultery? Well, in that environment, the woman had no other choice but to go and find her security somewhere else because the women did not have ability to have their own income, have their own land, earn their own money. Mm. So you were basically, a man was actually failing his duties Mm. by divorcing her, sending her off and saying, you can go sort yourself out now. Mm. And Jesus is saying, that's not how a Christian's supposed to live. That's not how a follower of Jesus, you should Mm. be thinking about other people. You have a responsibility to care for that woman, to keep her in your home and care for her. Mm. So it's not that he's advocating a 100% 100% for divorce, but in its first against century, divorce. against divorce, mm. but it's in its 100% in its first century context, he's trying to show, and I'm not doing a really good job of explaining it, I don't think, but he's trying to show that um, to send someone away and divorce them was actually a, an uncaring thing to do. Mm. You've married this okay. woman, it's a res- you have a responsibility, you're her source of income and well-being now. Yeah, now that's, right. Praise God we don't live there anymore. That's yeah. all I could say. We don't live in a society in the West where women mm-hmm. aren't free to be out of those relationships because let's face it, some of those relationships weren't healthy, mm. but it was the, it was either that live in an unhealthy relationship or be out there with no one to care for you. Yeah. And then the, along comes the church, the first century church, and they start scooping up and caring for divorcees and widows and women who've been estranged and bring them in and they care for them. They actually mm. found that there were people out there who had been treated poorly and they brought them in and cared for them. And that was one of the most beautiful ways that the early church grew. So the point behind all of this story is once again, you are choosing others over yourselves. Mm. And Jesus is trying to make a point and say to them, if you truly love me, Mm. you will prefer others over yourself. You can't serve two masters. You can't serve money Mm. and me. You want to appear righteous in public, he says. Mm -hmm. You want to look good in front of people. Mm -hmm. And then he says, Let's read verse 16 again. Until John the Baptist, the law of Moses and the message of the prophets were your guides. That was your guide. Your guide was you have Mm. to abide by these laws. They had made the laws purely something black and white on paper and failed to realize there's a spirit behind those laws. The reason that you shouldn't divorce your wife is because you're Mm. uncaring to do so. You Mm -hmm. send her off because it's inconvenient for you. You are required to provide for her, care for her, meet her needs and so on. So the spirit behind the law is care for others. Plus they hadn't had a prophet since. Well, for 400 years. For 400 years. Pretty much, yeah. God had been silent yeah. for about that time. Until so John the Baptist until comes Until John the Baptist, yep. which means that he he's yep. a new guide, yep. right? Yep. He's a he new is. prophet. He's a, a new prophet. A speaker and on behalf of God. he's pointing to Jesus yep. on behalf of, he's speaking on behalf of the Lord, he's pointing to Jesus. And interestingly enough, when you start to look at what John the Baptist is pointing against, it's the same things. Mm. It's mistreatment of the poor. Mm. He says, you know, he, John the Baptist will say, you, you brood of vipers, he calls them. Mm. He, and he, and the, even the Roman soldiers go, what should we do? He says, stop taking more than you should. Mm. Keep it, you know, do act justly, live fairly, serve others. Do you think that's why he ate locusts and all that sort of stuff? Because he'd rather someone else have all the good food. Maybe. He was just like giving up yeah. himself completely. Maybe. Yeah, he was he was trying to be an, an Elijah makes, spirit. He was trying yeah. to have that same spirit. Yeah, maybe. That's that's true. He lived out he lived out in that region. Yeah. Interestingly enough, I don't think they were supposed to eat locusts, so oh. um <laughs> there was an unclean animal from memory. So he was prepared what to did, what did he eat? Yeah, locusts yeah, and wild. Honey. I'm right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So 
but you, you, I've never thought about that. But that's a valid point because he's definitely calling them back mm. to fair treatment of others. If yeah. you read through John three or whatever it is, John two and the different places where it's mentioned, mm-hmm. he is calling them back to fair treatment of others, mm. and he's saying, "No wonder people are trying to get into this because this new kingdom is coming, and Jesus is now fulfillment of all of the stuff of the Old Testament." Mm-hmm. Their problem was they had narrowed the Old Testament law down to a bunch of rules. Mm-hmm. That were you're in and you're out based on the rules. And Jesus is saying you're not in or out based on the rules. You're in or your your job is to treat the vulnerable well. That's the law behind the law. That's the spirit behind the law. Obey the spirit of the law and treat mm. others well. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of again what he's saying in kind of, but in a different way. It's like. From a different angle in the, in pe- the next part it's exactly about what he's Lazarus and I think it's exactly the, the same point again. Yeah, so pretty much the same point, right? Like, it, except it talks about him getting into heaven and uh, the rich man going to the to the, the other place, place, the yes. place of the dead. Yes, yeah, place yeah. of the dead. It says yep. in in yep. my version. Yep. Um, so, I mean, without going into what you've just said or, again to reiterate it, but. It's quite descriptive about the place of the dead. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to say this question because I've heard it quite a few times and it's a, a view of some people. Is hell a real place? He said it. Like he's calling yeah. it the place of the of the dead. He talks about the yeah. fire. Are we misinterpreting it? Where is this other view of hell not being a real place coming from? Here we have Jesus, Jesus, not someone else, but Jesus actually describing someone there. It might be a fable, but he's still describing it. Is hell a real place? Is hell a real place? I don't think you're going to form an argument for or against hell from this parable. Yeah. Well, no, no. no, But but is hell a a real place? The the English translation of hell we need to be careful with because it's – uh, that place Hades is the Greek word that's often translated. Place of the dead. Yeah, so yeah. Place. It's probably Hades. Yep. Um, which was a which was the Greek word for the mm-hmm. underworld, but even the Jews throughout the Old Testament had a gradual understanding of what this would look like. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole idea of the devil and pitchforks and flames and all that sort of stuff—that's not mm-hmm. necessarily in the Bible. Mm-hmm. This is probably there's there's reference to flames here. Yep. But this is probably one of the few places where it describes it that way. It describes it as outer darkness mm. in other places. Worm does not die and it's using the term Gehenna, which is the rubbish tip at Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. So is hell a real place? I I think yes. However, I don't think Christians have done a good job of describing what, that, what hell might be. Mm. I think when we think hell, we think, you know, we think underworld – Flames, pitchforks, torture, all that kind of stuff. Mm. I think that's probably not a good representation. You think it's just separation from God? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I think C.S. Lewis probably wrote really well on this. C.S. Lewis is probably the person who thought about this the most, who I'd have the most respect for in terms of, certainly in the last century of people who really contemplated what hell might look like and based it around what he believed the Bible says. There's a lot of imagery that's not in the Bible. Mm. You, can't, you can't have something that's out of darkness, complete darkness and fire at the same time. If you think about it, it's got to be metaphors because <laughs> fire brings light. So how can you have darkness and fire? Yeah. They, they, no, that's they right. can't go together. So they've got mm. to be metaphors. 
They have yeah, to be metaphors, right. okay? Yeah. Um, the question is, what is hell? Who goes to hell? They're all questions that are bigger than the context of this conversation. Yeah, of course they are. What I would yeah. say in this conversation is I don't think that's the point. That, mm-hmm. the, and, and not saying we can't look at the scripture and question it and go, is this a parable? Is this a real story? What's Jesus saying? Uh, I, don't, I, I think, think it's a parable. Yeah. But, yeah. but I think in its context, oh, it's no, a little bit it different. Well, it's a little bit different to the other parables because it names Lazarus. Yes, right? that's right. Which is yeah. interesting because Lazarus is the same guy in John's gospel who does come back to life. So, yeah, um, right. So, no, I don't know if that's just a coincidence, but scholars have questioned that. Why? Because none of the other parables, this is different to the other parables. It seems to it be is. more specific in some yeah. detail, right? Yeah. And I'm not, I'm, scholars will argue to and fro about that. But I think what I think would be good for our listeners to get out of this is that back in its context of the previous few chapters, it's mm-hmm. dealing with how you treat the poor. Mm-hmm. And he's like summing the whole thing up and going, comparing and saying, this rich man who just completely ignored this poor man all mm. his life, now the poor man gets blessing. Mm-hmm. Now the poor man's been looked after mm-hmm. and you, all your best efforts have come to nothing and now you're in darkness mm. and torture. Yeah. I also think it's also reiterating that God's heart is for the vulnerable. Is for the vulnerable. It's justice and it's demands not that. About, it's not about saying you can't, you have, you can't be rich or, no. you know, no, it's or, not have, saying you can't be rich. or have wealth like as in it's earthly what you, it's wealth. It's what you do with it. It's, yeah, it's what you do with it, but it's also more like what's in your heart, right? Yeah. Someone, like it, it could be a whole metaphor that, you know, leprosy is, you know. Unclean. Leprosy is uncleanness. Yeah, but it, it could mean a lot of things and, and the rich part could be a metaphor for, someone that's, you know, greedy and like back to that oh, Babel thing, greedy yeah, and hungry yep, for yep. power yeah, and which, all that sort which of stuff. Which he clearly was. This guy mm. was clear, clearly it's focusing not. on himself. Yeah, sorry, I keep... She keeps kicking me kicking under the table. <laughs> it's yeah, it's table. Clear, he's clearly thinking um, of himself. Yeah, yeah, right. Yep. He wouldn't give him anything. Mm. Um, so one more question. I hope this is a quick one because I know we want to move on to the next chapter. Why is he talking to Abraham and why does he call him father? Is it it's not the same word for father as God the Father, right? No, but he'd be thinking of him as um, like, their ancestral father. Their, yeah, their, so um, Father Abraham um, yes. has many sons. He's the father of the faith. He <laughs> yeah. he, he was regarded as the the founding father of the Jewish yeah, faith of yeah. the of the people of Israel. Yeah, yeah, right. So it's a term for 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 Abraham in that sense. Mm. Yeah, as though somehow Father Abraham that the patriarch of the whole family of Israel mm-hmm. was sitting there in heaven overseeing the whole thing. So he goes, I'm going to go straight to the top. I'm going to go to the, I'm going to go to the patriarch yeah, of the whole right. family and ask him to be kind and have some pity. Yeah, yeah. right. That's what, it's just a term, figurative term they would have used to def, to find Abraham as the patriarch of the whole Jewish family. Yeah, cool. All, All right. right, let's move on. Verse chapter 17 now. Okay, Luke chapter 17. Uh, It's a little longer than the other chapters, um, but with the first two parts, uh, Jesus is teaching about forgiveness and faith and the ten healed of leprosy. Um, But for sake of time, we're going to focus more on that last last parable or that last conversation about the coming of the kingdom. Um, However, Pastor Rowan, give us a bit of a a wrap-up of those those two stories just quickly. So this chapter is probably a little bit 
out of sync to some degree. It, it looks like Luke's fitted it there. I, I can't necessarily see the, the clean tie that I saw with 14, 15, and 16 especially. Mm. They all seem to be following the same theme. There's a little bit of it here. He's talking about – so the first part is about, um, you know, forgiveness really. Um, if you if you do not forgive others, then you cannot be expect to um, forgive. And, and he says if a person comes back to you seven times, you need to um, mm. forgive them. And the apostles go, what? I can't even do that. You know, how can we possibly have that much faith? We need more faith. Well, they say, he says in verse five, and Jesus says, look, it's part of being a follower, one of my followers. He says, mm. you know, a servant, if you really, you want to take, take me and be one of my servants, a servant comes in and after working in the field all day and doesn't say, sit down now, the, the servant expects just to do their duty. Mm-hmm. And that means they've got to come inside and now serve the table. It's Jesus' way of saying, if you want to be one of my followers, you need to be one of these people who forgives. I'm expecting this of you. Yeah. You need to be a forgiving person. You need to be a person who thinks of others, honors others. Um, it says that even if that same person wrongs you, verse four, seven times a day, and each time turns around and asks forgiveness, you must forgive. This is not making a judgment on the other person. This is not whether or not their repentance is good or bad. He's trying to call people who are his disciples towards a lifestyle that extends grace and forgiveness to others. Mm. Okay. So that's, a really simple nutshell. It really does story. tie in, though. I think you're wrong there. It really does tie it probably in. Does. Tell me how. Well, he's reiterating what, how we should act um, yes. because of True. the of what you said before about the image of God, about the image of God yes. in people. Yeah. If don't harbor grudges. Yeah. Yes. If we saw everyone in that light, yep. then it would be easier yep. to forgive. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I agree. Mm. I think they're, they're definitely the, the probably the difference is in the previous ones he was talking largely to the Pharisees. This one and he's talking directly. to his disciples. Yeah, yeah. He's actually no, saying, he's right flipped there. on its head. He's now saying, "I'll show you mm. what discipleship looks like." Mm-hmm. So then the next little passage says Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem and he comes to a town and there's ten uh, ten men with leprosy there mm-hmm. and they Jesus they cry out, "Lord, have mercy!" and he goes and tells them all to go and show themselves to the priests. They all got cleansed of their leprosy. It was a miracle. Ten people get cleansed, but only one of them comes back and actually bothers to thank Jesus, Mm. shouting, praise God. He fell on his Jesus' feet. They fell at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. And this man was not a Jew. He was a Samaritan. Mm. This is like language of good Samaritan. This is like the outsider. Jesus is going, hang on a second. Oh, I I cleared cleared all nine of, all ten of you. Mm. The nine Jews didn't even bother to come back. The Samaritan did, so maybe he's saying the same thing again. He's going, your faith has healed you. It's his way of saying the unclean, the lowly, the vulnerable, mm. they're worthy of it. They're worthy of getting healed, and maybe, just maybe, they're, they're less self-righteous and they'll come back. These nine Jews that uh, should have come back and didn't. Mm. So I think that's, once again, reiterating that point of Jesus cares about all people. Yeah. Okay. Then we get into this verse 20 on which, which is – we're starting to get into some complicated stuff. Yeah. thought this part was interesting. This one really seems like, at first glance, it seems like it has no link to what we've been talking let's about. Let's see if it does have Whatsoever, a link. but I, well, let's pull that out. Sure. Okay, so let's, let's read it bit by bit, I guess. Mm-hmm. One day the Pharisees asked Jesus, when will the kingdom of God come? Jesus replied, the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there, for the kingdom of God is already among you. Then he said to his disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see the day when the Son of Man returns, but you won't see it. 
people will tell you, look, there is the son of man or here he is, but don't go out and follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other, so it will be on the day when the son of man comes. But first the son of man must suffer terribly and be rejected by his this generation. When the son of man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. Hey, hey there's Noah. Um, in those days, the people enjoyed banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat and the flood came and destroyed them all. Um, so let's pause before we keep going on with the other explanations. Mm-hmm. F- firstly, I mean, it's pretty obvious with this one. It's like people were just getting on with their lives and then all of a sudden there was a flood. Yeah. No one had any idea. Yep. Kind of debunks the whole, hey, making fun of Noah building a yeah, boat maybe. story, yeah, right? Yeah, maybe, yeah. Just yeah. popped into my head. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, could be. They're um, just going on with their lives, yep. Yeah, if they were, well, I suppose they could still They could have, still be going with their lives and making fun of him, I yeah, suppose. Yeah, yep. Because they didn't believe him, right? No, that's right. Um, but they had no suspicion that yep. it was going to come. Yep. Um, and he's using that. Why is he using these stories, do you think? Well, they're trying to talk about the kingdom of God. The Pharisees are asking, when will the kingdom of God come? So I guess what I would do is I I haven't done this, but I guess I would look and go, okay, what was the Pharisees' concept of what the kingdom of God coming looked like? Mm. I suspect that for the Pharisees, it probably would have looked like a very visible king, Mm -hmm. a very visible king. They would probably be among those that would think that the king was going to come and overthrow Mm -hmm. the Romans. Mm Mm-hmm. Not so sure the Sadducees wanted that, but the Pharisees certainly wanted that. Mm-hmm. So they were looking for a visible kingdom yep. that would come and give them victory from the Romans. And mm. Jesus' answer to that is trying to say, it's not like that. Yeah. When the kingdom of God comes, it won't be obvious. Yeah. It, well, it, it will be obvious, but in a different way. Yeah. The purpose no one of the, will know. Yeah. yeah. The, king, the purpose of the kingdom of God is it's happening already within your heart. Yeah. There will come a day when the Son of Man comes back, he says, you know, and it will be Mm. flashing and visible everywhere and all that sort of stuff. But he's talking about that being in the future. Mm -hmm. He's saying before that the Son of Man has to suffer. Mm. I'm not coming this time around to bring in that kingdom in that way. I'm coming to bring in the kingdom through my suffering. Mm. And then he's telling his disciples the way to bring the kingdom of God is through giving up your life. Mm. He says the time is coming. When the Son of Man, when you will long to see the day the Son of Man returns, because you guys are going to be having a hard, the Christian life is not going to be easy, mm. but you're going to carry the kingdom of God within you, among you, and you will go about. This is what the early church did. They carried the kingdom of God in them, and just like Jesus came and healed people and said the kingdom of God is here, He endowed His 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 early church with the same words, and He endows us with the same words. He says the kingdom of God is now within you. Now your job is to go around and do good heal the sick, care for those in need, bring kingdom values to the earth and mm. do it not in a not in a hyper-visible visible way where everyone will say, oh, here's the kingdom of God. It won't be that obvious. It'll be more hidden than that. Mm. But just keep faithful at it. There'll be days when you want to see it because your persecution will be great. But stay the course, stay faithful because in the end, one day the king will come back. I will come back and the kingdom will be instituted in that visible mm. way. In the meantime, stay faithful mm. because people around you will just carry on with their lives. They'll just be like Noah and Lot, mm-hmm. Sodom and people in Noah's time just going about their business, self-focused, not even thinking about the things of God, not thinking about the world. Mm. You stay faithful because the justice of God one day will come. Mm. And right now you can bring the justice of God in the one-on-one encounters with the people in your world. Mm. So 
he moves on to two other stories. Yep. The days of Lot and yep. fire and burning sulfur raining down yep. on them all. Um, yes, it will be business as usual right up to the day where the Son of Man is revealed. Um, and then again he talks about Lot's wife mm-hmm. um, clinging on. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. Yep. And if you let your life go, you'll save it. Yep. These stories, as you read the three different stories he's talking about, God, if he's talking about God's justice and yes. what happens in the face of evil and yep. Which bad the flood stuff does, that's happening, the Sodom flood, and Gomorrah does. Yep. Sodom and Gomorrah and then Lot's wife turning yep. around. Um, well, Lot's wife is the Sodom and Gomorrah story. Yeah, so, yep. but, well, yeah, he's, yep. but three examples three here, examples, yep. right? Um, he's using these stories. Why do you think he's using these three justice stories to reiterate this point? It's, do you think it's really about, again, what we've been talking about, about love and about that, yes, okay, this is, this is how it's going to happen. I'm illustrating God's justice. However, by telling you these, by retelling you these stories. However, the underlying story is love. Yeah, I think so. I think the overarching story is that God is patient Mm. and that God, there will come a time when God will bring justice and complete justice, Mm. complete restorative and retributive justice and put everything right. I think maybe we are supposed to see that we are in the stage where we bring God's love. So there's a period of time when Noah has to be faithful Mm -hmm. while he's waiting for the justice of God, Mm. the flood, Mm -hmm. the judgment of God that comes in that flood. There's a period of time where Lot has to live in wicked Sodom Mm. and be faithful. And I think uh, Hebrews even talks about it and says that righteous man was tortured in his soul while he waited in Sodom, Mm. something like that. That's good. So there is a period of time where we have to be faithful in, um, what does it say? It says it cl- those who cling to their lives will lose it mm. and those who give up their life will save it. So Jesus would say love demands that you give up your life in this mm. in this period of time when it's not going, when you're waiting for the justice to be revealed, when you're waiting, waiting for the world to be put right, you are an instrument of my justice and you can bring a little bit of my kingdom into the world around you. And that will require that you give up your life. That will require mm. you, you give up your possessions. Back to the Pharisee stuff. You don't put mm. yourself first. You think of other people. You care about others more than yourself. That is what will actually bring about the justice of God. And while you're waiting for that justice, there'll be people around you who don't understand you. They're just going to go on their merry way, eating and drinking, mm-hmm. just like they did in the days of Sodom and the days, mm. of the days of Noah. They're just going to do their own thing. You stay faithful. Don't look back. Don't do what Noah said. Don't, look, don't, don't do what Lot's mm. wife said and look back. Don't go, oh, I wish I was back there. Don't yeah. do that. Just stay faithfully in the cause. The time will come when I will put things right. And in that time, it says in verse 35, it gives a, parable, he says, oh, it's verse 34, that night, two people will be asleep in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. Mm. Two people will be grinding flour at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. You don't want to be the one taken. The taken language there is the same taken that is used to describe the judgment in the time of Noah, the ones who were taken by the flood, Mm. the ones who were taken by the the fire and brimstone in the, the story of Sodom. And he's saying, stay faithful. You won't be taken. Stay mm. faithful. Stay in the ark and you won't be taken away. You'll be one of the ones who are left behind. 
And I use that word carefully. I know, I know. The left, just <laughs> the left behind language, left behind language says that presumes here the one who is taken is the one who is good. Why do we always end up talking oh, about left well, behind? Because the one who is because this this story is used. I loved those books. I did too. I, I did. But this story is used as if the one who is taken is the one who's raptured, and that's a good thing. Yeah. That's not what the story's no, saying. No, it's not. It's, it's the, the other way it's around. It's the other way around. Yeah. The, See, that's. I think that's actually important to know. Even though we're not highlighting. The, the kingdom of God topic in this, I, th- I still think it's important to say that that could be misread. It, it has been misread. A lot. A, a lot, yeah. And the point of the story is will you put others before yourself mm. while you wait patiently for justice? And that will mean that people, some people will treat you unjustly, mm. but if you don't fight back, if you love others, if you give up your life, you'll save it. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's the point of Luke 17, I think, in my opinion. Yeah, that's good. And it has implications for how we live our lives now. Mm. So we're nearly there, hey? We are. We're nearly there. Yes. Let's move on to Luke 20. Okay. Last chapter, Luke 20. My first question, I'm reading it now going, oh, I don't know anymore. I, I feel like once we've had these, I always feel like this about our um, the last chapter because once we've had we've all probably these. We've covered com- all the topics, haven't we? Yeah, well, not only are we covering it, but it just everything blends and okay. makes more sense. Right. And I hope everyone is feeling that way too, not just when you're reading the passages but when you're pairing it with this podcast yeah. because I feel like I – have learnt so much more about the connection of the verses. Mm. I've learnt a lot more and everything makes sense and it reveals so much more. Less different to how you've probably been taught to study, which is almost verse by verse, like study a verse at a Mm. time rather than learning contextually and learning large passages of Scripture because what you're seeing here is we're we're dealing with a chunk of chapters that are fairly close to each other. Well, it stands to reason that Mm. oftentimes the train of thought will be the same yeah, about those passages, so yeah. that's helping you. I think it's yeah. I think it's really great. Well, so um, what was the question then? Yeah. Well, the question was if it was related to verse one to eight. So if the uh, the Pharisees talk about um, how the people were convinced that John was a prophet, um, and they were scared of being stoned. Uh, and I've written then why didn't they feel the same about Jesus? Like they clearly thought people were following Jesus. Why didn't they feel that way about him? Why did they not want to kill him, want to kill him, (laughs) get rid of him? They wanted to get rid of him. Uh, I know John the Baptist ends up um, being killed as well, but it just feels like why weren't they scared of being stoned? Why weren't the So, okay, so the people. People are following Jesus. Yeah, so in verses 1 to 8, Um, the Pharisee, is it the Pharisees? One day Jesus was teaching the people and preaching the good news in the temple and the leading priests, the teachers of religious law and the elders came Mm. up to him and they demanded, by what authority are you doing all these things? Who gave you the right? Mm. Jesus says, let me ask you a question first. Did John's authority to baptize come from heaven or was it merely human? And they talked it over among themselves and if they said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, why didn't we believe John? But if we say it's merely human, the people will stone us because they're convinced that John was a prophet. So they Mm. finally replied, we don't know. Jesus said, well, I won't tell you by what authority I do this. Yeah, so, I mean, my question for that was why didn't they have the same fear about accusing 
Jesus as they did John. Oh, I see. Does that? Uh, I, um, I think it's the way I've worded it, and I, I apologize. Um, I think Jesus has got a much bigger following in a much more public place. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So first of all, you got to remember John the Baptist was out in the desert. Mm-hmm. There were Pharisees coming, but he was out in the desert. Mm. They weren't the ones who threw him in prison. Yeah, right. It was King Herod. Mm-hmm. It was Herod Antipas who threw him in prison because he didn't like what Herod had said about it, how he shouldn't be married to his brother, his brother's wife. Mm. <laughs> so it wasn't actually the Pharisees that put John mm. in prison. Mm. It was King Herod. This is different. Now Jesus has got a massive following in the temple courts, mm-hmm. and they, they right. don't they don't like the fact he's got this following. Yeah, they they it's threatening their position. This mm-hmm. isn't just the Pharisees. This is the religious teachers of religious law. So this is some, and the priests. So mm. this is, this is now the Pharisees and the Sadducees. These are yeah. the, these are the elites of the elite, mm-hmm. the people who have got the biggest heads and the most influence and the most to lose mm. if someone else comes and takes away their thunder. Mm-hmm. And that's what they're worried about. Basically they're worried about a civil war. So yeah, right. really these Pharisees, are, these people in their minds, these crowds who are supposed to be like mindless sheep, Mm-hmm. who they don't actually care for. Mm-hmm. They just use them for their own benefit. Yeah. These crowds are not following them and living in fear of them anymore. They're following after, after Jesus now. Mm. Jesus has got this massive following now. Yeah. So one, they're jealous of that. And two, they're thinking if we start to talk against Jesus right now, mm-hmm. then this crowd could rebel and stone mm. us to death. Yeah. Okay. That's what's going on in the story. Right. And Jesus is a bit cheeky because he knows they won't answer. He goes, okay, well, let's just see. Yeah. Let's yeah. put you on the spot. You know, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's good because that really sets up the rest of it. Verse 9 to 19, the, sorry, the rest of the chapter. Verse 9 to 19, um, he tells a story, the parable, another parable of and the this evil is, farmers. this is now speaking to the ones in verse 1, mm-hmm. which was the teachers of religious law, the leading priests. and yeah, Actually, this isn't even the Pharisees. This yeah, is not the yeah, Pharisees. Sorry. This is a different group. So the, the Pharisees didn't like him, but the li- teachers of the religious law, the mm. priests, they hated him because yeah. they were the elitist, the, the elitist of the elite. These guys basically were in bed with the Romans. Yeah. They, they're getting kickbacks from the Romans. They were controlling the ar- priesthood. They were controlling the aristocracy. They were completely mm. the worst of the worst in terms of treating the poor. Yeah. And Jesus is calling, going to call them evil farmers. Yeah, right. So, okay, I'm glad you said that because my question about this evil farmer parable, how did they know the story was about them? Uh, Do you think the Holy Spirit was convicting them or do you think that they know how dirty they are? (laughs) They're just... just... I I think if you put yourself in the story, Mm. you'd have to be... If you listen to the story in that era, mm-hmm. you'd have to be pretty dumb under the context to realize Jesus wasn't having a go at you. Yeah. It's yeah. pretty obvious. It's pretty, and it's also it's like very damning. It, he's really embarrassing them because he's he not is. just telling them, he's telling, no, he's everyone, telling everyone this story. And if they didn't get it, they probably would really soon. Yeah. For those that aren't listening to it, if you're driving or whatever, basically Jesus is, won't read the whole story, but he's basically saying a rich man had a land. He leased it out to some tenant farmers Mm -hmm. and then he went away on a trip and he said, I want you to look after the land. And then he wanted, it came time to get some kickbacks on the land and those um, farmers sent, he sent a servant and the the farmers said, no, we're not taking, we're taking Mm -hmm. it for ourselves. They killed the servant 
He sends another one. They kill him. Finally, he sends his son. And they say, surely the farmer says, surely, surely the farmers will accept my son. And they say, now let's kill him too and get the whole mm. thing for ourselves. Mm-hmm. So that's the parable um, that Jesus is using to illustrate that you guys, I'm speaking it against you because where you said is um, he asks them, so what do you think is going to happen to the vineyard? And he says, mm. I tell you, he's going to come and he's going to bring justice mm-hmm. against those farmers who've done the wrong, the wrong thing. Mm. And Jesus looked at them and said, the stone the builders rejected, they quoted scripture to them. Mm-hmm. And then they said, verse 19, which is what you said, the teachers of religious law and the leading priests wanted to arrest him immediately because mm. they knew he was speaking the story against him. They were the wicked farmers, but they were afraid of the people's reaction. So Jesus was cashing in on the previous fear from the last story. Mm-hmm. And he says, this is my time to out you guys. He's doing what Jeremiah, he's, he's basically operating like an Old Testament prophet here. Mm. The Old Testament prophets would speak to those in authority See, a lot of people get this wrong. They think the Old Testament prophets are all about prophesying about the future. Right. That's not their primary job. The Old Testament prophets were to spend most of their time speaking to the aristocracy and the leaders about their mistreatment of the poor. Okay. That's what their job was. So you guys aren't abiding by the covenant that you were supposed to abide by, the Mosaic covenant, caring for the poor. You're not abiding by that. You are living off the fat of other people. And Jesus is now going to do the same thing to these guys. He's going to say, you guys are just like the kings of Israel. You're no different. Mm, okay. They do not like it at all. Yeah, right. Oh, of course they don't. No. Yeah. So they know. They know. I mean, I mean, I think there's probably a degree of uh, sarcasm in this. Yeah, okay. And Jesus is never sarcastic towards the crowds. He's, mm. he, he never is harsh towards the crowds. But my word, he's harsh towards the abusive leaders. Yeah. I kind of feel like this parable is a little different to the majority of other parables because the majority of other ones that he tells kind of we can relate it to us even though it's told to a people in that time. Yeah, we can relate it to us. pull out something that yeah. can help our heart yeah. be changed yeah. or help our situation or, or whatever yeah. it is um, personally as well as as a church. Whereas this one isn't really that at all, oh, is it? It challenges me. Um, I think of Ezekiel 30, 40, Ezekiel 47 or 37. No, it's not 37. That's the dry bones. 47, I think. The the, the wicked shepherds. Mm. So Ezekiel is prophesying against the shepherds of Israel for treating the sheep poorly. Mm. Woe to you, wicked shepherds. I right. think this is channeling that same thing. It's really thing. similar, isn't so it? So as a shepherd, I'm challenged by this. Yeah, right. Where, okay. am, I, where am I using... Am I, am I using the flock for my gain and my mm. my benefit or am I a good shepherd who lays down my life for the sheep? So I'm challenged by it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, uh, you're right. It's different in the sense Jesus steps up again. There's definitely a difference between the Pharisees and the and the Sadducees. The yeah, Pharisees, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Phar- they often get lumped together, but I remember hearing Marty Solomon say this. Jesus spent three years with the Pharisees and they didn't like Learning him. from them. Well, no, not learning from them. He spent three years ministering and they were around and they were a pain in the neck and he was constantly yeah. appealing to them. And he spent like three weeks with the Sadducees and they wanted to kill him. Yeah. So there's a difference. The Pharisees didn't like him. Yeah. But the Sadducees, the ruling elite, the rich, powerful ones, they hated him. Mm. These guys were in a, they were in a whole different um, ball game, these guys. Yeah. And they, yeah, they were the worst of the worst in terms of the way they were mistreating the poor. Mm. Mistreating okay. the ordinary, everyday Jewish person. Yeah. Okay. Which really was poor because it was either you were there was no there, real middle, there was class. No middle class. It's no. like you were rich or you were poor. That's correct. Right? Yep, and a very few were rich. Very few. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
Okay, so verse 20 to 26. Carries the same theme. Ta- yeah, taxes Bearing for mind, Caesar. They couldn't kill him because they were afraid of the people. So their next step logically is, well, we can't kill him. Maybe we can catch him out on some legal grounds that we can yeah. report him to Rome on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's pretty much what it's about. I love what he says. Show me a Roman coin whose picture and title are stamped on it. Um, well, then give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. So they failed to trap him. Um, how We're reading this story about a time that they're in, so, like, it makes sense. It's part of the story of how they, you know, of how they're trying to trap him and then eventually, mm-hmm. you know, leads mm-hmm. to his um, his crucifixion. Yep. But, and then, you know, they're just trying to trick him. But for us, as we read this, should we be reading it as, well, yeah, we should pay our taxes and give God what is his? Because it's kind of the opposite of, you know, giving up everything that we have and feeding the poor and the needy. And well, it's not the opposite completely, but... But it's also, hey, but we should also do the right thing by our government, right? Yes. Yeah. For us, as we read this, should we really be taking that literally and be like, yes. I believe so. We should be yeah. paying our taxes. Yeah. And I, think, and, well, Paul and says I guess that it elsewhere. says we should says give if you God pay God's taxes, right? Pay taxes, Paul says elsewhere. Mm. And, and not just pay taxes but give to God. Yeah. So I yeah think, and it says that here yeah. too, right? Like The point they were trying to get mm. – which helps to understand the implication, the application of it. The point they were trying to get is they were hoping that Jesus would say, "Yeah, that um, no, don't pay it to tax because you give everything to God." Yes, that's or, right. Or, or you or should give pay it everything, everything to, to the poor. To, yeah. To the, yeah, exactly. Whichever one mm. of those it is, they're going to try and chap him out. But Jesus is able to bridge the both of them. So yeah, I think both remain true. Then yeah, it's give, be generous to the poor, mm. and pay your taxes. Now we're fortunately we're in a country where. Being generous to the by paying our taxes, we actually have welfare systems in place, so we actually are able to. We're doing both. We're doing both. <laughs> yeah, through, through that. That's not to say, oh, we only pay to the, we only give to taxes and don't care for the poor, because no. obviously that that's shirking our responsibility. But I think that's what Jesus is saying. Both are important. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, that's good. Nearly there. Nearly there. Last little passage. Oh, so this. This, I'm a little nervous about this one. Um, verse 27, there's no marriage in the next life. Nothing to do with God's justice, I know, right. okay. but I have to ask it. I've, I kind of knew that before, but reading it just made me go, oh. You're not the first person that's thought that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, honestly, I actually had a conversation with my husband yeah. about it. I was like, yeah. we were kind of like, oh, yeah. that's a bit sad. That's a bit of a bummer, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. I really love have my this husband. special relationship. Exactly. Yeah, totally. Um, but uh, I, I guess that's just what I wanted. Like there yeah. was a big question mark yeah. there. Yeah, what can well, we learn so, from that? Yeah. Why, well, I think, I think you have to assume that Jesus is making a point because at the bottom of it, his point is, you know, those in the next life will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They won't, um, you know, they, they'll they be like the angels, mm. it says. So there'll be some way there'll be some level of genderlessness, I suppose, in that sense, at least biological reproduction genderlessness. I, I think um, I think you have to assume that's what Jesus is saying. Then it's just a case of figuring out what the implications of that mean. Now, what we know, we know, we don't know as much about heaven and the afterlife as we think we do. A lot of what we're taught is actually implied 
or it's been imposed on the scriptures, but it's not there. The Bible actually says very little. This is probably one of the few things it says about it, mm. other than to say maybe the afterlife is, a, is something beautiful to look forward to. So we have to assume that whatever we're going to have is going to be better than mm. what we lose. That's okay. that's all we can think about. You think about the the most wonderful times in your marriage, and think the promise is that I'm going to have those wonderful experiences with everyone with everyone more often. Now mm. that messes with our head because it sounds like well that sounds like adultery, you know that kind of stuff. But it's not. We've just got marriage to, is an earthly creation, yeah, yeah. and he's created yeah. marriage for certain purposes on the earth. So certain purposes, those certain purposes are are good, pro- not procre- just procreation, not just procreation, right? no recreation. In companionship, companionship, yep, partnership, yep. Um, being able to do life with yes. someone, yep. right? Yep. But we won't go beyond that. Other than to say that whatever heaven looks like, whatever this afterlife looks like, and I don't even I use the word heaven loosely there too. Mm-hmm. Um, but whatever it looks like, Jesus would indicate that it's good. But the main point he's trying to make here is he's trying to refute the people who are trying to re- trying to bring a charge against him. Just like they'd brought the charge mm. against him about money. Now they're trying to bring a charge against him about the resurrection and he just flat out refuses. The Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection. He just flat out says, no, no, no. Mm. The resurrection is a fundamental doctrine. You watch because mm-hmm. in a few days' time I'm going to be resurrected is what he's saying. Yeah. But he's flat out refuting yeah. them on this issue and saying. Well, right at the end he really he really does. He, does he turns to his disciples one. and says, like, beware Yeah, of beware them. of them. They're, These guys are troublemakers. You know, they're not yeah. cool. That's exactly um, right. Yeah. Uh, I guess my last question to wrap it all up so 38, verse 38, it says, So he is the God of the living, not the dead, for they are all alive to him. Talking about the God of Abraham, Isaac the God of Jacob. Isaac yep. and the God of Jacob. Um, what can we learn from this particular part? It seems a little Jesus like... Jesus is just using this to illustrate that um, it's present tense. I mm. am the God of Abraham the God mm-hmm. of Isaac and the God of Jacob, not I was. Mm-hmm. So Jesus is using this to say this is proof that Abraham, Isaac and Isaac and Jacob are all still alive. They have resu- mm. there, there is afterlife for them. The Sadducees mm. didn't yeah, believe in right. an afterlife. Yeah. So he's saying how can I, how can God call himself the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and say I am? Mm. I would be or I was the God of Abraham, I was the God of Isaac and I was the God of Jacob. You guys have missed yeah. it because you don't realise that written into that very declaration is a proof of the afterlife is what yeah. Jesus' argument is. Cool. And some of them even go, oh, that's pretty good. And no one dared to ask him any more questions. Yeah. So there were a few. Pretty full on. There were a few in there. This whole chapter is Jesus picking a fight with the. With oh, the, yeah. With the he's yep. really picking a fight. Because he, his justice is coming out. This is their extremely bad treatment of the vulnerable. Yeah. Nothing makes the Lord mad. Nothing brings out his justice as much as that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Cool. All right, that'll be it for today. That's it for this week's podcast. Thank you again for joining us. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you, Pastor Rowan, for answering all my really (laughs) awfully hard questions. Oh, that's fun. It's all good. We'll see you next time. (laughs) Thank you.